This episode of the Sunspots Comics Podcast is brought to you by our brand new sponsor, Cryptid Zoo. Cryptid Zoo is a t-shirt line uniquely infused with augmented reality and inspired by cryptozoology figures like Bigfoot. It is designed by artist and owner Julian Meyer, and check out the amazing unique shirt designs at cryptidzoo.com. And don't forget to use the promo code SUNSPOTSCOMICS and you will get 25% off your shirts. Again, that's www.cryptidzoo.com. If you're looking for a place where your love is shared the same For the stories where the hero saves the girl somehow Where love no further friends, the adventure never ends We will save the world somehow In Sunspots Comics now Frightening sounds echo through the halls Whenever candlelights flicker Where the air is deathly still That is the time when ghosts are present Practicing their terror with ghoulish delight <laughs> Hello there! Happy Halloween, everyone. You are listening to the Sunspots Comics Podcast, issue number 78, covering new comic book day, October 26. And let me tell you, it is a zombie bite of infected comic book mayhem. I am your monster-mashed host, Chris Latore. Thank you so much for joining in on the good time that is Sunspots Comics, where I give you a list of amazing comic books to buy and read every single week, along with a ton of other fun comic book stuff. Please follow us on all the social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Xbox, at Sunspots Comics. We would greatly appreciate it. Thank you to my friend Nick Papa George for our amazing Sunspots Comics theme song. Just check him out at Facebook.com slash Nicholas Dell Music. He's got a brand new song on iTunes. It's very good. It's rock, it's ska, it's reggae, it's island style music, it's feel good, it's empowering. It's called Power Within You. Just check him out on iTunes. Just search Nicholas Dell, help him out. It's a fantastic song. I love it. It's, I, I played the heck out of it when I first downloaded it, and I really like it. So I couldn't recommend that anymore. Also, thank you to my son, Justin Jables Latore, for hanging out with me at Stan Lee's LA Comic Con. I mean, what fun we had. Memorable moment. I'll always look upon it fondly. And also, he does our Sunspots Comics blog, so check it out at blog.sunspotscomics.com. Please follow him on Instagram at JustLAKings. His latest blog is on the Netflix Luke Cage Season 1 review. He does uh, warn you that he gives some spoilers, but it is really good. Check it out. Again, blog.sunspotscomics.com. So let's jump right into this Halloween-infused Sunspots Comics podcast issue, issue number 78 with some stuff floating around up in my nerd brain. And of course, the major thing that's right in there is the Stan Lee LA Comic Con. It was fantastic, let me tell you. It was just so much. It was a mecca. It was 25% bigger than last year. 
I mean, it was uh, not body-to-body and insanity like 195,000 San Diego-style Comic-Con, but it's creeping there. Every single year, it's just getting a little bit bigger and a little bit crazier, uh, but it's still manageable, it's still reasonable in price, and it is still a fantastic con every single year. If you in the Los Angeles area or you're not, go to Stan Lee's LA Comic-Con. I still loved when they call it Kamikaze-Con because it was just unique and sort of stood out, but now, right, it, it adds some legitness to... The, all the other cons that are pretty much called that, so very cool, but I tell you, uh, what a, I mean, it was just packed. The place was insane, it was fun, I spent too much, I had a good time, I, I hung out with Jables, even my wife Patsy went with me on Sunday. We met up with some friends, so hello there, and a special uh, hello to Nicole and Roland, uh, they're big fans of the, of the show, and thank you for all of your support. But I'm going to jump right into an interview that I recorded in the front row, I was there as press. It was awesome. I was maybe ten feet away from Stan Lee. It was it was freaking phenomenal. Uh, he was interviewed by by Chris Hardwick of Talking Dead, which I'm a fan. I love that. So it was cool to see him. I was so close, I could see the beads of sweat just dripping upon them. It was very very cool. Uh, I apologize for some of the audio. It actually it was the it was the speakers in front. People were looking at each other like, what's going on? It's about a 20 minute interview and maybe five to seven minutes of it uh, collectively. Is a, is a little bit low in volume, so I apologize for that. I did what I can to kind of tweak it. Right off the bat, there is the the police chief of New Jersey that presents a special award to Stan Lee, and then I kind of cut out some of the audio blurb there, but it jumps right into Chris Harbour being introduced, and it is a ton of fun, so enjoy it. Here you go. It's about 20-ish minutes. Stan, the man, the master, Lee. I mean, it's so amazing that he still has all his wits about him. He's, you know, he's, he's 147 years old. And well, I know he's 93, but still, what an icon, the grandfather of comics. I, I love, especially love the part where he talks about what he wore for Halloween before he invented all of these comic book heroes. <laughs> because when you think about it, that's just a strange concept, right? What did all the kids wear before Stan came around and, and of course, helped with other people and invented these comic book heroes and created all these great superhero outfits for all the kids to wear for Halloween? Like they had to come up with other stuff, or, or they were cowboys, or so. Just kind of neat, but here you go. Enjoy the 20 minutes of Stan Lee and Chris Hardwick. I was so friggin' close. It was an experience I will never forget. So here you go. I hope uh, you enjoy it. And most importantly, I'm presenting you with an official police chief badge, making you a police chief in the state of New Jersey. <laughs> you better not let me catch you speeding in Jersey. That's all I can say. Thank you. Chief, you are wonderful. You Thank, are you. Thank you. Thank you. But right. we are there for you. But the, we're there for him, right? No. The great thing is he and police all over the country, they're there for us, for all of Thank us. You. And they deserve the respect and the admiration that we can give them. Everybody deserves respect. Everybody. And that's what this is all about. Thank you so much, Chief. Thank you, sir. Okay. Appreciate it. It's my honor. Right. I'm and please remember when you vote for best costume. It's right here. Thank you very much. That was not a costume. That was it, the real thing. I, I can't wait to go to New Jersey and throw my weight around. <laughs> but seriously, I started this thing a while ago. I called it the Respect Program. And I think I've told you already, it's a black hand and a white hand in friendship with the word respect above it. I think that simple little thing, if we could all just kind of try to live up to it, 
and instead of hating our neighbors or thinking badly of them, if we could just respect the other person, even if the other person is different in some way, what a better world this would be. Okay, that's it. That's what I wanted to say. Thank you. Stan. And of course, Excelsior. Mr. Chris Hardwick, come on stage. Hey, Stan, welcome to Stanley's Comic Con on Sunday, everyone. My cup runneth over. It's wonderful. Yes, sir. Welcome. So, uh, Stan has done more panels than all of us could collectively count. And so the idea was, let's sit you down, let's have a conversation with you, and ask you questions that you don't normally get asked. Does that sound reasonable? I get normally asked everything, I so know. I'm wondering... I have one request. There's this huge crowd. Let's get a great picture of you two with all these fans that want to see you guys. So if you could just look at me really quick. Oh, sure. Okay, so uh, ra rapid fire style. Let's start this off. First question Did you dress up for Halloween as a child? And if so, what was your favorite costume? Spider Man. Yes. As a child, all right. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, I didn't hear you say as a child. <laughs> spider Man wasn't around. What is that child? There's some sort of a spider person. Someday, whip. Errol Flynn, the actor, he Errol was Flynn. my favorite. So I would try to look like Errol Flynn. I had a little toy sword. I didn't have a mustache when I was a kid, but I, I tried to look like Errol Flynn. That was about it. Did, uh, did growing up during the Depression influence how did this idea of fantastical worlds and heroic people and it's sort of a mental escapism, was that part of it for you? No, I didn't think of it as fantastic. To me, all of these things are real. Okay, good. Good answer. To me, the Hulk is real. I mean, be careful. He might be out there. He could be out there. Number two, what was your favorite subject in school? My favorite subject in school actually was English. It was? Yeah, I loved, I loved writing, composition, stuff like that. And because um, most of the like, other kids weren't good at it. So it was the one thing I could do better and I was a show-off. I was no good at any other subject. History, <laughs> geography, I knew nothing. I liked writing. You liked writing. Well, you, you picked the right profession. What was high school like? What was high school like? What was high school like? Yeah. Dates with girls. Come on, really? <laughs> Isn't the, the, that what high school is supposed to be? I went to an all-boys school. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, high school was great. I, um... I was on the staff of the school newspaper. Right. I went to D. Whit Clinton High School in the Bronx, New York. And um, I, I, I just studied as much as I could. I, I managed to graduate, I don't know how, and that was it. But what did you think you were gonna do after high school? I wasn't really sure. I hoped I could be a writer, and then I thought maybe I could be an actor like Errol Flynn. But um, he was there first, I couldn't replace him. <laughs> All right, number four, uh, what was your time in the military like? Oh, well, that was fun. <laughs> it started out being terrible, the usual military experiences, but then they found out that I had been a writer, and they took me away from the tough part of the Signal Corps, and they brought me to New York, where they had their headquarters, 
for the people who wrote training films right. and did instructional books. And before I knew it, I was writing training films to make it easy for the troops to do what they had to do so they could learn everything quickly. Like, I, I did stuff like the um, operation and nomenclature of the M10 rifle, which I knew nothing about, but I had to write the book. So I had to get myself an M10 rifle. I almost blew my head off. And I wrote the instructions. The nomenclature was always important. That's sure. the word they used. You had to describe the name of every part of the thing. So I had to know the I, This is called the trigger. <laughs> Ridiculous. <laughs> and I wrote training films, and I wrote cartoons. And um, I had to take things that were difficult for the troops to learn and find a way to write them so they'd be easy to learn. And one of them, which is very unglamorous, the payroll department, the finance department, they paid the soldiers. But the soldiers were always getting paid late because the people in payroll weren't good enough for what they were doing. And it was wrecking hell with morale. The soldiers were risking their lives and they weren't getting paid on time. So it was my job to tell the payroll people how to speed up what they were doing, to instruct them. And I came up with a game, a character called Fiscal Freddy. And you had to move him from the top of the page to the bottom, past all the little tra traps that I put. And each trap was a, a question about finance for the army. Anyway, to make a long story short, that little character speeded up the training of the army finance so that the troops finally were getting paid on time. So in my own way, I practically won the war. You did, yeah, you did. You won the war, you kept morale high, and you won the war for the Allies. And don't forget to pick up issue number one of Fiscal Freddy. <laughs> you didn't expect such a long answer, It's a did great you? answer. Do you ever, do you ever, did you ever think like, oh, I kind of want to do just like a fun, jokey thing with Fiscal Freddy, just as a side, just as yeah, a side. Fiscal Freddy was very serious. He was very serious, yeah. yeah. I want you to remember that. Yeah, no, you're right, I'm sorry. Uh, question number five, who is or was your best friend throughout your life? Well, my best friend was my wife all the time. And beyond that, I was the luckiest guy in the world. I had, had, had more good friends. One of them I'm gonna meet in a couple of weeks, I think, I'm going to Rhode Island to a Comic-Con, and he lives near there. A fellow named Ken Bald, who is my best friend and was a Marine captain who saw a lot of combat. Yeah. And Ken and I, have our, our wives and me, I don't see enough of him because he lives on the East Coast and I'm here. I have another friend, the guy, Ed, um, the fellow who's my partner right here. Max? And, and, and Gil, Gil Champion. I have this company, Pow Entertainment, and I have a partner, Gil Champion, who's one of my best friends. Max Anderson, who you've all seen wandering around here, he's one of my best friends. If you treat me gently, you'll become my best friend. I will. I will hug you so soft. It, it depends on the question. You ask one question that's tough. You're not going to be my best friend. Wow, that is, a, that is a hard cutoff. That's a lot of pressure. One question. All right. Uh, if you were a novelist, what would your great American novel be about? That's an interesting question. I've never been asked that before. <laughs> Sweet! I, I finally got a question. I finally got a question. 
I don't, I don't even know what it would be. I'd have to sit and think about it. It would have to be about people who don't get along well, which is most people in the world. And I'd have to try to find a way to let them know they could get along better if they did this, that, and the other. That would take a lot of writing, and I don't think I'll be here long enough to write it. <laughs> I think one of the times you... Oh, don't say that! No, I mean on stage. On stage, oh. All right, good. Uh, <laughs> some poor woman in the front. I was like, she's hyperventilating. You're, everything's up for We're all okay. You know, we, when you, one of the times you were on the Nerdist podcast, we had this really great conversation about old radio shows. Radio shows, like old radio shows. What was, uh, what was your favorite radio show? They had a radio show called Shandu the Magician. It was about a guy like, like Dr. Strange, I guess, who was a magician. But the thing I loved about it is the way it was announced. You tune into the station and you'd hear a guy with a deep voice go, and now, Shandu the Magician. <laughs> well, I was about eight years old and to me, that was the most dramatic thing I ever heard. Sean Du, the magician. <laughs> it was almost as good as Excelsior. Yeah, that's your Excelsior is your Sean Du, the magician. And also, congratulations on uh, Doctor Strange opening in a couple of days. That's a very big deal too. Wait till you see it. See, this whole thing was to lead up to a plug for Doctor Strange. Totally but reasonable. But you found me out. I was, you know, I probably shouldn't admit this to you, but. We chatted a little bit at the Doctor Strange premiere, and then you walked by me, and for some reason, my foot was out, and you almost tripped on me. And You're the guy. Yeah, did I just kill the friendship? Uh, that was it, I killed the friendship. But there was, a, there was that moment where, you know, I was, I was so excited, you know, my whole life. Here I am at the Doctor Strange premiere, and I'm talking to Stan Lee, and then I almost murdered Stan Lee. It's like the most terrifying, I've woken up in a cold sweat like five times since then, like, oh, oh my God, I didn't kill him. Okay, everything's fine, everything's fine. I gotta tell you a story about almost tripping and falling. When I was about 18 years old, I had a job. No, I was about 17, it doesn't matter. I had a job at a theater in New York in Times Square called the Rivoli Theater, kind of a fancy theater. I was one of the ushers. And one day, the president's wife was coming to the theater to see the movie. It was a new Bing Crosby movie, and she was, and there were five ushers. There were five aisles. Each usher had his own aisle, and I had one of the aisles. And we were all hoping Mrs. Roosevelt would come down our aisle. Could you imagine leading the president's wife to the seat? Sure enough, she came down my aisle. And I, I tried to be so good. I had my shoulders back, I stood straight, I looked straight ahead, this way, Mrs. I said, Mrs. President. I didn't know what to <laughs> I said, this way, Mrs. President. And I'm walking with my flashlight and my head high, and some rotten guy had his leg in the aisle, and I tripped and fell right on my face. <laughs> the next thing I know, Mrs. President is helping me to my feet. Are you all right, young man? Oh, it was the most embarrassing But If ever you want my most embarrassing That's moment, the one? That was it. What do you say to Mrs. President when you fall? And I she's... said, thank you for helping me to my feet, Mrs. President. <laughs> I don't know what the hell I said. Uh, so that, that leads to an interesting question. That was the perfect uh, natural segue. How many presidents have you met, and who's the most memorable? Let's see, I've met 
President Reagan. I'll tell you a funny thing about President Reagan. I was sitting across a table from him. He was sitting where you are. Well, Here's a table, and I'm sitting. It was a dinner, a dinner. And for some reason, I was a guest at the time President Reagan was. So you're the president, I'm me. Okay. Now, you're sitting facing the president of the United States. What do you say to him? I couldn't think of anything to say. Finally, I said, God, oh, no, I know. He had been president. He was now president no longer. This was a, d a dinner date for the ex-president, Ronald Reagan. So I said, gosh, Mr. President, yes. you must be so relieved that you're not the president anymore. You don't have all the world's problems on your shoulders. You can relax. And I'll never forget his answer. He looked at me with his eyes wide. He said, no, I loved being president. He said it just like that. I loved being president. I'll never forget that. Then you would have been that. like, oh, well, bummer, that's not going on anymore then. Uh, you passed the <laughs> then, salt. Then I had a thing with President Bush. Um, he was giving an award to, who's that girl who always played with Errol Flynn? She always co-starred with him. Well, I don't remember uh, her. Lady? Three names. I, I don't remember her name. But anyway, he was giving it a, a showbiz awards to certain people. I was getting one, and that woman was getting one. She was now an older woman. So anyway, he gave her her award first. He put a thing around her neck with a little plaque, and he gave her a kiss on the cheek. Then it was my turn. So I walked over to him, and he put the thing around my neck with a plaque. And I don't know what made me say it, but I said, I hope you're not going to kiss me too. <laughs> and he started laughing, and I started laughing, and some photographer took a picture of us. And I have it in my office, back wherever the hell my office is. <laughs> of the two of us standing there laughing. And if anybody had seen the picture, they'd think we were like old friends. But it was only a one-minute thing. I said, I'm not going to have to kiss you, too. <laughs> so anyway, then that you was guys it. had to make out. Um, <laughs> did you have any interaction with Frederick Wortham? And Frederick, Worth Fre Frederick Wortham was the psychiatrist who came up with the... Uh, Seduction of the Innocent in the 1950s who said comics are bad. It was what led to the creation of the Worth comics. Code. Yeah, led to oh. the Comics Code Authority. What was that period of time like and what was going on in comics and was this guy just a fear monger? Like what was, what was the situation? Well, this guy Wortham was a psychiatrist and he decided comics were no good for kids. And he got a lot of publicity by doing interviews with newspapers and radio shows, telling parents that their kids shouldn't read comic books. And I was heartbroken because, believe it or not, that man had written a book years before about a young boy who had murdered his mother. Oh my God. A young boy who, there was something wrong with him. Somehow or other, I read that book as a kid. And uh, it was a beautifully written book, a real detailed case study of what caused the boy to go crazy that way. And now to find out that this, the man who wrote that book, which was beautifully written and interesting, was on a crusade against comics, I couldn't believe it. But he turned into a real nutcase, and he bothered the publishers for a, 
a, a year or so, and then he drifted away, and I don't know what became of him, but <laughs> comics are bigger and better than ever, so that shows what he Yeah, did. yeah, yeah. Just so you know, he died in 1981, so you win. You win. Uh, <laughs> what's the story behind the trademark aviators and the mustache? You're, you have a very signature aesthetic. So where did the aviators and the mustache, like this look, the Stan Lee look? Only he would say, you have a special look with glasses. You do, yes. People who wear glasses wear them so they can see better. But it's yours are a, very specific. It's not a special look. You, you have a spe you could wear any type of glasses, but the aviators and the mustache. These aren't aviators. They look, they're regular glasses. Who set this man up to torment me? Well, I'm, that's it. Who we're arranged not, this interview? I, I, this just and ruined our friendship. This ruined the our mustache, friendship. I... When I was younger, I wanted to look like Errol Flynn. And so I grew a beard, because he was in a movie where he wore a little beard. My wife hated it, so I <laughs> shaved the beard off. But I, I didn't want to lose all of Errol Flynn, so I left a little mustache. I thought maybe she wouldn't notice. <laughs> she noticed, but she said I could keep the mustache. So this is my Errol Flynn mustache. These are my ordinary glasses. All right. Like well, every I, you human know, being We'll has. have to agree to disagree on this point. Do, hey, do, how come you're wearing a gray sweatshirt like that? Because huh? I don't want to dazzle everyone with my throbbing no, pectoral muscles. That shirt, that shirt is very dazzling. Oh, okay, thank you. That's thank a you. dazzling shirt. It's a very dazzling gray yeah, shirt. And those sneakers, they're two-toned. <laughs> they're white on the bottom and black there. What I never noticed you, that before. What made you get two-toned sneakers? I'll show him. Oh, boy. my God. I, it doesn't feel good to be interrogated in such a way. Uh, what was the most memorable piece of fan mail you've ever received? Can't remember. All right. I got so many. What, do, what types of things do people normally send you? They send you drawings. They, what type of things do people normally send you when they send you fan mail? Do they send you drawings? I usually get bills. <laughs> you know, people write notes sometimes. Uh, very nice. Sometimes a rotten note, like everything else, but um, are you good with that, by the way? If someone is negative, are you able to brush it off? No, I can't sleep that night. Oh, no. Nobody better be negative with me, buddy. Okay, good. I, Did you ever meet Errol Flynn? I never met Errol Flynn, and I wish you hadn't reminded me Okay, of I'm that. sorry. That's the one sore spot in my life. <laughs> I, <laughs> I want to tell you, when I was a kid, when I was like 13 years old, I was so impressed with Errol Flynn. I'd come out of the theater having seen one of his movies. I was 13, and I'd be looking around for a little girl that some bully was picking on so I could run to her defense. I just wanted to be Errol Flynn. I didn't find out till later that in real life he wasn't that great a guy, but the <laughs> roles he played, oh boy. Was he not that great of a guy? He wasn't he a... was. Did any of you remember a controversial comic? What did he say? Can you hear? He's saying you hear they're saying Fantastic about? Four number one. No, that wasn't controversial. Oh, I'll tell you a controversial story, though, with, with, with Spider-Man. Some of you may have heard this before. I've said it before, but I'll never forget this story. When I came up with the idea for Spider-Man, I thought my boss would love it. So I ran into his office, 
and I said, I have an idea for a new hero. I want to call him Spider-Man. He'll have the power of a spider. And I want him to be a teenager. And I want him to have personal problems to make him different from the others. My boss looked at me pityingly, and he said, that's the worst idea I've ever heard. <laughs> he said, first of all, people hate spiders. So you can't call a hero Spider-Man. He can't be a teenager because a teenager can only be a sidekick. And you want them to have personal problems. Stan, don't you know what a superhero is? And I walked out of the office with my tail between my legs. But we had a book we were going to kill, Amazing Fantasy. It was going to be the last issue. Now, when you put out the last issue of a book, nobody cares what you put in it. It's the last issue. So just for fun, I put Spider-Man in that book, and I featured him on the cover. A month later, the sales figures came in. Spider-Man was our best-selling book of the month. <laughs> so my boss came running into my office. <laughs> he came running into my office and he said, Stan, Stan, you remember that Spider-Man idea you had that we both liked so much? <laughs> I swear. He said, let's make it a series. This is why I don't have the greatest opinion always of bosses. Right. Well, that guy's dead now. You win. Uh, <laughs> but it's also a good lesson for anyone out there who are creators or writers. Don't let someone tell you that something isn't right if you care about it and you believe That's in right. it. That's right. I mean, this man built a whole, you know, because sometimes people don't have the vision that you have. So if something doesn't exist yet, other people who are of mediocre minds maybe not be able to recognize the genius. So stick to your gun. Stan Lee is an example of that, an inspiration for that. The son of a gun said it better than I did. <laughs> We're friends again. Uh, so when Star Wars came out, apparently you had to be convinced to publish the comic book. So what did you think of the Star Wars phenomenon at the time? That Star Wars phenomenon... I am so jealous of George <laughs> Lucas. You have no idea. I had to make up all of these characters. He makes up one thing, Star Wars. Mm -hmm. And it beats everything. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. hate him. <laughs> do, you, uh, do you feel like you accomplished everything that you set out to accomplish when you first started in the industry? I mean, now that you've seen all your characters come to life on film and you've seen the incredible success and resurgence of, of comics and, and this community, is this what you thought it would be? Is this what you had hoped it would be? <laughs> to tell you the truth, when I started in comics, I just hoped that I'd keep my job so I could pay the rent. I never, th I never in a million years would have thought I'd be sitting on a stage in a panel talking about these great comics to a million people. And it, I still can't believe it, really. But yeah, thank you. Thank you. But it, it's, been, it's been a great ride. It really has. And uh, I'm enjoying every minute of it. And when I see people like this, they're bright and they care and they're interested. And they come here. And then after the panel, they'll be discussing things themselves. 
is he really as dumb as he sounds? You know, <laughs> the usual conversation. <laughs> but it's fun. The whole idea of writing, uh, of, uh, no, I'm sorry. The whole idea of reading stories is to enjoy them, to take you out of yourself, to use your imagination and imagine, wouldn't it be something if life was like this or like that? Or if it's that bad, maybe I could think of a way to make it better. Reading should really change your life all the time. Re there's nothing like reading to expand your horizons. And I wanna compliment all of you because you are readers, you have imaginations, and you even sit and listen to me this long <laughs> a period of time, I don't know. Well, I have to say, uh, this was about all the time that we had, but I wanna thank you for being the grandfather of this community and for fostering all of this. I mean, we're all here because of you, and it means the world to me and to these fans that you come out and talk to them. So everyone's already standing, so you got an automatic standing ovation the second you came out. But I want to have a huge hand for Stan Lee. Thank you for coming. Can we get a picture with everyone before we, before we go? I want to get a picture with everyone. Only if you promise to give me a copy. You will have a copy. I never get copies of these things. Which way do I face? But they're over there. I'm not turning my back to my fans. screaming Excelsior on the count of three, all right? One, two, three. Excelsior! Excelsior! Nuff said. Man, oh man, that was so cool. Gosh, I hope you guys enjoyed that. I totally did. I mean, to be there in the first row and to, to experience Stan Lee and Chris Hardwick in that, in that great conversation. Chris Hardwick asked some interesting questions. You know, Stan Lee is a machine. He's used to sort of the same 500 questions and he's ready to answer. And I like that uh, Stan Lee had to take a second in a few of those and really think about it to answer him. So great questions. Fantastic. It was quite the event. My hair on the back of my neck stood up a few times and it was just lovely. It was quite delightful and I'll never forget it. Next up, I actually have an interview with a local artist named Mauricio Abril. Super nice guy, and he's local to Los Angeles. And his art style is kind of, uh, it's very throwback, very homage to doing a lot of iconic superheroes as children. So it's just beautiful, it's happy, it's bright colors. And he did this uh, children's book called Small Dogs, which I end up buying. So here's the interview with myself and Mauricio Abril. Please check him out on Instagram. It'll lead to everything that he does. It's at MAU Artist. So here you go, me and Mauricio. Okay, I'm here at the Los Angeles, Stan Lee's Los Angeles Comic-Con. I'm here with artist, writer, Mauricio Abril. How you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you so much. I have to give a shout-out to Patty, who actually bought me a print of yours. It's this one I'm looking at right here with the Captain America Falcon Winter Soldier in a little VW bus. And I love all of your style. It's very throwback. It's very flashback. It makes me feel good and happy. Like, Tell us a little bit about what you're working on and your inspiration, and then maybe about small dogs. Sure. So... Overall, my inspiration stems from childhood and the nostalgia that we associate with childhood and just kind of a certain amount of whimsy and animation. I'm a big fan of animation, so I try to infuse a lot of that with my work. 
Um, and as far as stuff that I'm working on, unfortunately, I can't say I'm working on anything right at this moment. It's a secret. I wish. Um, uh, actually, I do have some stuff that I have in progress, but uh, it's nothing big um, because I just finished a piece called DC Daycare, which features six DC uh, female characters in the daycare setting, so the antics that happen there. So I just finished that one. It's been received very well, and yep, it's the one right behind me. And uh, so I'm kind of like, those big concepts kind of take me a little while, not only to think of, but also to do. So uh, as soon as I finished that, I was off to New York, and I just got back from New York for New York Comic Con. So I'm just trying to play catch up. And I just finished moving, so yeah, I'm, I, I have... I, have, I've, I haven't had a moment to kind of settle down with that. I wish. So that's a lot on your plate. Tell me a little bit about your, for the artists that listen, I do get a lot of them, what's a little bit about your technique, if you can, like tell us a little how the sausage is made, what's uh, your art style, what do you use, and you know, how, do, how does it for you, what's, uh, give us a normal day in your art style and how it works. Okay, so um, I think any, any piece I work on just it gets kind of formulated in my head over time. It's kind of like a little, it simmers, it stews in there. Um, once I have the idea though, uh, then I pretty much just go straight into Photoshop. I sketch in Photoshop, and then I work primarily in Photoshop. And I, I tend to build up my, I, I work very loosely, so I kind of work very scribbly because I know I'm gonna eventually make it an illustration, like a full-on painting. So I pretty much do all my digital painting in Photoshop. Um, and I kind of, I tend to paint, tr I, I tend to approach my digital work the way I learned how to paint traditionally. So I learned with acrylics and oils. So I often get the compliment that my my work looks very painterly, and, and I and I try to make it look like that as opposed to uh, uh, as opposed to the kind of digital stuff that that also looks cool. But I'm trying to I, I treat Photoshop the way I kind of treat traditional media. Yeah, you definitely capture that that real paint and digital medium that looks like very real and hand painted. I love it. Absolutely love it. So you wrote and uh, did the art for Small Dogs. Tell us a little bit about that and what's that all about. I'm going to buy that today. Sure, thank you. Uh, Small Dogs is an original children's book that I came up with. Uh, the concept I came up with two to three years ago, finally worked on it and in my free time, launched the Kickstarter for it, got funded. It tells a story of Seth, who's a little chihuahua who grows up unaware that he is a small dog and he thinks he's going to be big. So the basic premise is how do we deal with differences that we can't really change? You know, I love that, man. I, that hits home because I have four small dogs, so I know, like, deep down inside, all my dogs believe they're supposed to be large, especially when they interact with large dogs. So that's that's the concept, generally, of the, of your book. Um, a little bit. It's, I mean, it's a uh, it. The, the the there's three little small dogs featured. Although the main character Seth, there's a Chihuahua, a pug, and a Dachshund, and they all have personalities. One is a superhero loving pug. That's kind of a throwback to me loving superheroes. And then the other one's a little nerdy Dachshund who doesn't really like doing things that dogs do. He wants to stay at home and kind of be like his owner. Uh, but yeah, overall, the idea is that, you know, it's great to tell kids that, you know, they can, they, that, that they can achieve the impossible and we should, but sometimes there's things that you just have no control over and we also need to learn how to be okay with that. Live within uh, your limitations, but do the best that you can and find ways. That's great. So where can everyone find your work? I'm, I'm a fan. I'm buying it today. I recommend everyone listening today buy Mauricio Abril's work. It's beautiful. Where can they find you online and social media, etc. to buy some of this stuff? Sure. Thank you. My, web, my main website is MauricioAbril.com, but you can find me on Facebook under Mauricio Abril Art or Instagram and uh, Twitter as Mao Artist, M-A-U Artist. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for the lovely sketch that you did, and I'm going to buy your book right now, but thank you very much for your time, and I really appreciate it. Thank you. No, thank you so much. I really appreciate the uh, support.
It was nice to meet you, and also like you're an LA native, and so are we. And that's I'm gonna do what I can to help you because uh, you're local. That's very cool. Cool, much appreciated. Yeah, I grew up in uh, jointly Hacienda Heights and Chino, and yeah, still LA. We live all over that, all over that area. So thank you again, Mauricio. It was very nice to meet you. Thank you so much. Thank you again, Mauricio. What a fun interview. It was so nice to meet you. So I'm so happy to support local artists like yourself. That's so just so awesome. Your work is so iconic and beautiful and colorful to see superheroes as kids. And it just makes you happy. And that's why I love looking at it in my office all the time because Mike, Patty, and Colin, thank you again for my fantastic uh, birthday gift. It's, a, it's a, a framed piece of art where it's a blue VW bug and you got uh, Captain America, Winter Soldier, and Falcon as kids driving this VW bug with their gear bungee corded to the top of it and Captain America's shield like right there on top. And it just makes me happy. I love looking at it. You got to check out his art, mauricioabril.com. And again, check him out on Instagram, at artist. Beautiful, beautiful stuff. Thank you again. And coming up next is I actually had an interview with Morgan. She's with Ozobot, O-Z-O-B-O-T. You can follow them on Instagram or their website, ozobot.com. And the Instagram is at ozobot, O-Z-O-B-O-T. And they make this cool little programmable robot that is that it's designed to have fun and has marvel skins you can add to it smart skins and it's kind of in it's supposed to inspire young kids to teach them how to program and code which is very cool so it's a toy it's for fun but it's educational and it's infused with marvel heroes so here's our interview with me and morgan i loved it and check out again their stuff on ozobot.com and instagram at o-z-o-b-o-t so here's me and morgan I'm actually at the Ozobot booth with Morgan. Tell us a little bit about Ozobot. I love the visual of it, but give us the breakdown, please. Thank you. So Ozobot is a one-inch robot that helps teach anyone of all ages really how to code. Yes. How to code. Fantastic. Yeah. And, and how, it's an interface, it's an app where they can actually code on the app? Yes. So right now we have our basic model, Bit, and that one is not a connected device. That one, you can simply take any markers and use our Ozo code language, and that'll teach you the basics of coding. So that's getting you in the mind frame of, of a coder. So coding is a sequential language. So with the codes on the paper, it's just getting you, if I put a code here, it's an if then. So put a code here, it's going to sequence and do such and such. So this is for entry-level robotics creators. Like, like that's the, the ultimate design? Definitely. And then our brand new robot, Evo, which we just launched two months ago, that one, anyone can pick up. So that one is our app control device. That one you get the, it's an app on either Android or iOS. So it functions on all devices. And in there you can custom code the movements, the sounds, the lights. Yeah. So it has, a, I see you partner with Marvel. Are those actually like skins that the little, that your, that your Ozobot will wear on top for fun? Yes, so they're, yeah, they become their, their smart skin. So they become, you plug into the back of the robot and it becomes that character. So it's gonna talk and it's gonna move just like that character does. Oh, so there's unique movements of that Marvel skin that is unique to that particular Marvel character? Yes, exactly. And then once you connect it to it and you're in our um, app, you get access to Stark Academy. So you become a cadet within Stark Academy and you move through the different phases and different missions. You'll get daily missions where you need to RC and do different coding activities to move on. And once you've done that, you're hopefully going to be a master of robotics to help the Avengers. 
This feels and sounds like a jumping off, like a springboard board point for Ozobot. What's some of the maybe sneak peek of where this is going? Like this seems to have endless sort of possibilities, but maybe what's some of the near stuff you can talk about that Ozobot is going into? Yeah, so uh, definitely this is a springboard. We just partnered with Marvel, so we're hoping in the future, in the next couple years, to pick up more of their IPs. Um, right now that hasn't been decided which ones we're going to get, but, you know, I'm hoping we'll be able to pick up more female characters. We do have Black Widow in our lineup, which is fantastic because we want to help bridge that gender gap that's going on in the STEM world. And we want to help bring more women into the industry and have them learn coding. Diversity, beautiful. Do these skins interact with each other? Like, are there unique interactive, you know, like interactive abilities? Like, say, Iron Man with Captain America. Are there things that happen unique to each other? Definitely. So, when an Iron Man sees Hulk, or if Black Widow, for instance, sees Hulk, she'll be, "Hey, big guy." So she recognizes him, and then Cap and Iron Man will be like, "Hey, Tin Man," or stuff like that. So they do know each other. So they have a small speaker on them that actually has. Okay, because your glass here, I can't hear anything. But there is. They actually have unique, like little little emotes, little emojis, if you will. Yeah, it definitely. Yeah, like I said, they become that character, so you can. They really talk and interact just like the character would. Wow. Well, tell us a little bit about where the listeners can find it, and kind of what the price point is, and how we get some of these. Or are they available now? Uh, we are in pre-order with Evo and the uh, action skins. So those go on sale starting uh, Thanksgiving weekend. So you can pre-order on our website, www.ozobot.com. And then they will be in Barnes & Noble, Toys R Us, Amazon, and select Target stores. Fantastic. Well, I, I think I'm going to go buy one right now. They're very, very cool looking. So please check it out, everybody. Very, very cool looking, unique design. And I think a springboard for that young robotic designer. I mean, that's great. They're going to learn how to code. That's very cool. Thank you, Morgan. Appreciate it. Thank you. Have a nice one. Very cool stuff. That was fun. Nice, nice, cool little product. Teeny little robot with these teeny little lights and you add this little sort of skin on top of it and you can program it and then interact with each other like various uh, characters of Marvel. And I tell you, it, where it goes from here I think is going to be really exciting. And this alone, I mean something educational but yet fun at the same time and it just looks cool. It looks like a tiny like R2-D2 in your hand with little lights with like a, like a transparent top with lights. And I guess there's little cameras on it and everything. It's nuts, and uh, it's, I think it's priced right. For all the technology you're getting, I mean, it's, it's awesome. Please check them out at Instagram, at Ozobot, uh, O-Z-O-B-O-T, and of course their website, ozobot.com. So coming up next is our friend of the show, Mr. Zach Kaplan, the writer of Eclipse. We talk about his Image Comics and Top Cow production. It's called Eclipse, and issue number three was there in advance before it even comes out this Wednesday, November 3rd. So here's me and Zach having a nice little conversation about Eclipse, issue three. All right, I'm here with Zach Kaplan. How's it going, Zach? Good to see you, man. So tell me, number three. This is, this is prior to actual release date, right? That's right. Yeah, actually, they surprised me. Are we doing the right here? Where, yeah, he, yeah, they surprised me, too, because... Uh, I thought it was coming out Wednesday, and then they had him here. So yeah, if you wanna, if you're here at LA Comic Con, number three is actually out here, and you can't get it in stores yet. So. Nice. Not until next Wednesday, right? Yeah, not until next Wednesday. Yeah. Fantastic. So how's it been so far? How's Stan Lee's awesome. been? Yeah, the Comic Con's awesome. It's been packed, but uh, it's it's been really cool. And I and this is the first time, because the last con I was at Long Beach, we had number one out, but now we've got two and three. So it's nice to actually be able to give people a little bit more than just a, a single issue to check out. So, yeah. Give us a little tease, a little glimpse into number three. What can we expect? Don't spoil it because I haven't read it yet. I, I can't say too much, to be honest. All I can say is if you've been tormented by our cliffhangers and our mysteries, yes. you, you do get a little more 
Uh, finally, we give you a little bit of reveal, a little bit of information. So uh, three is a little more satisfying. Oh, 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 oh go ahead. you're good, you're good. Uh, that, welcome, to, welcome to the con, welcome to the con. Uh, yeah, you get a little more uh, information, but then of course three sets up a big uh, climactic dilemma that our hero's gonna have to make in four, so. so. A little more meat and potatoes, you're telling us. Yeah, yeah. actually I think three uh, is my favorite issue up to date because I finally get to give a little more reveal and with information comes decision, you know, characters uh, they're, they're investigating, and then once they get the information, they got to decide what to do with it. So uh, that's... Well, I think your pacing's been fantastic. Because, like, you know, when, when it comes to, like, an issue one, as I told you before, and you overpack it and oversaturate it, and then you're kind of let down with two, yeah. no, you kind of paste it nice and evenly well to where it gives you enough. Thank you. And, you know, it's like you can't just do everything in every issue. And so, you know, issue one is world, issue two is setup, issue three, three is reveal, and issue four is, like, confrontation time and so uh, you know that was that's kind of the you have to do something a little bit different in each one so yeah nice so how's it doing overall like how's it producing how, how well is it being received yeah I mean it's it's been killer uh, no pun intended it's hot it's burning up shelves uh, yeah I mean one sold out the first week and they went into a second printing of that and two sold out Tuesday night the day before it came out I, I'm using sold out at the distributor level meaning if the comic book shop wanted to order you on they could not. They just had whatever they had on the shelf. So we'll see how three does uh, in a few days, and uh, and then we're excited. We're ongoing. Uh, Giovanni is uh, working on the art for five right now, and uh, it, it's so funny too because uh, the colorist Chris has, has been working. On it. He says you're going to slow down on the level of detail and intensity with the art, right? And oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> we have a, a standard now, so. Uh, we're hoping that if you like what you've been seeing in Eclipse, we're going to keep delivering some real hardcore detailed art. For the brand new folks that maybe missed Podcast 76, didn't hear our first interview, give us the, give the snapshot. Yeah, Eclipse is a world where the sun will burn you alive if you go outside. Uh, something has happened. There's been some sort of solar cataclysm. The sun has changed. We don't know why, but now people go outside, they burn alive, so society's flipped. People work at night, sleep during the day. But then there's a killer going around. He's killing people using sunlight, and it's up to the hero to stop him. Sounds uh, like a nicely complicated, com like very just mixture of a whole bunch of little genres in there. Yeah, Love it. Yeah, a little sci-fi, a little horror, a little post-apocalyptic, a little dystopian. There's a whole sorts of a lot of stuff going on. Yeah. Yes, and a character that is immune to the sun that we're only seeing little glimpses of, which I'm interested in that guy. What, uh, we see a little more of them in three? Yeah, in fact, you find out a little more detail in three about what's going on. But I, I'm going to keep you, go, you know. Thank you. You're going to have to go into five and six to get more. But, uh, yeah, it, it, it's teasing out a little bit. It's tickling us with a feather. You do that so well. You're Westworlding me. And I said, I guess so. Or Game of Thrones, whatever. You, uh, the mystery of it all. But, yeah. yeah. Thank you. It's nice to see you again, Zach. Big fan. And definitely by Eclipse. If you guys are listening now, go get it. You're just stupid if you don't get it. Well, it's amazing. You guys are on top of it, so uh, stay with Sun uh, Sunspot here. You guys. Are yes, stay with us. Thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks again, Zach. Yeah, I, I got to grab it right now. I'm going to pick it up. Yeah, for sure. Yes, you thank want you. number three? Yes, I need it. What do I owe you? Uh, four. Okay, thank you. Love it. Hi, I'm Zach. Zach My wife, so Patsy. nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. All joking aside, it was probably the best podcast I've done. Oh, thank you. Nice. Really, yeah, for sure. It's I mean, his you, passion. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. But you, you know, that's the, so many of them. They, people come in and they've got their list of questions. I'm still going. They have you have their list of questions, and so you can feel that they're just 
they hit their question and they're moving on. And, and as a creator, what you really want to do is have a conversation. And the whole thing that between him and I it was just conversation, and that was just awesome. So you gotta keep it real. It's got you gotta be. I gotta be mean. We just have to tell you, and you know, wouldn't be true. So thank you, man. Anytime you're doing anything. Thanks a lot, man. I appreciate it. That is Zach Kaplan. Such a gentleman. Yes, I know the audio got bad there at the end, but I wanted to play it because he he was kind enough to just pay us a a nice compliment about the podcast, and I work hard on it. And he's someone that I respect because he's a fantastic writer. And for him to take a moment to just say thank you and give me a compliment meant a lot. And uh, especially because he's he's someone truly that I inspire to be uh, with writing Zombie Destroyers. He's uh, And issue number three is out on Wednesday. I have already read it. It's uh, fantastic. I said that Eclipse number one was good. Eclipse number two was better and great. And issue three might be my favorite one. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. I will be uh, reviewing it on the next podcast because it actually comes out tomorrow. And thank you again, Zaps for that, Zach Caps, for that early, that early preview copy of it. I'm glad it was there at uh, at the con. So fantastic! I'm glad I grabbed it. But please go check out Eclipse. Grab it. You can get it everywhere. It's reprinting. It's uh, a very good, interesting comic, and I think they should call it a Sunspots effect. That's all I implore you. <laughs> but anyway, that's fantastic. So, uh, coming up next, this is the interview with Gerard Way. He is the uh, lead singer of the band that is no longer together, My Chemical Romance. He did a comic called Umbrella Academy. He did the fabulous Killjoys. He did this one shot, Spy Dur, this Spider Man uh, comic, which I love. Check that out. Just uh, Google Gerard Way and, and buy everything that he's created. It's fantastic. He's a fantastic artist. I wish he, he drew more. But uh, he's uh, maybe even a better writer. And he's doing the entire DC line, the imprint called Young Animal. And there's like five titles going there. And I tell you, they're weird. They're trippy. I really dig two of them. The other three are just so trippy and strange. Um, But I'm going to kind of hang with them and peek in because it's something different. It's unique. He has a definite fresh take on it. And uh, again, I apologize, their audio was very low. I was planted again in the same spot, but you can hear those speakers sort of come in and out. But it was a ton of fun. It was electricity in the air. You had My Chemical Romance fans there kind of screaming like he was a beetle. And then they settled in. It was nice as as he talked about comics and really broke it down. And he's he's uh, he's an interesting fellow, and he's definitely well-versed in the, in the comic, in comic lore. And it was very cool. So here's the interview with... Gerard Way. Check it out. Uh, this is my good friend Gerard Way. Hey. Hi. How you guys doing? Sure. Cecil Castellucci is doing shade. Yes, she's writing she's a shade. Writer shade. And we've got um, Saida Tamafonte lettering and Kelly Fitzpatrick coloring. Yep, one of those Arconian art. Yep. yep. And um, we've got Mother Panic, which is um, being written by Jody Hauser and uh, illustrated by Tommy Lee Edwards. And um, and that's the only title that hasn't streeted yet. Yes, that comes out uh, November. Right, right. Yeah. And so um, now many of these books, Doom Patrol is a, a full. We got to mention the rest of the Doom Patrol team. Yes. It started with Nick, and then kind of later on we got Tamara, and right. then she started coloring 
um, after the black and white art was done for a while, we were just like, who's going to color it? And Shelly again said, what about Tamara? Wow. Bombalane, and we said, awesome, cool. And um, lettering is done by the legendary Todd Klein on that, so. Multiple Eisner Award winning letterer. Um, the lettering in, in these, these comics is kind of like a who's who, the best of. Um, there's got to be probably 15 Eisner Awards between the teams of yeah, letterers. For sure. Uh, colorists, probably 10 Eisner Awards and, and other awards. Yeah. And, um, you know, Becky Cloonan doing the covers oh, yeah. for, Becky. you know. Whoa. Uh, the, the Shade the Changing Girl covers. And now, if you, if you list, look at that list, and we've named off um, a good eight or nine uh, comic creators, most of whom you've all heard of, there's a, a lot of women involved in this line. Yeah, let's hear it. Um, anybody who's familiar with uh, my podcast knows that we tackle issues of diversity, and it's a, a central theme to what I talk about, and I'm, I'm happy to see that there's a line that has a lot of diverse faces and um, has a lot of women working in comics. But um, I think we've talked about this a little bit, that that wasn't necessarily the aim, that it was, you know, you know, what is it that you've said? It's you like... Know, you know, the aim of Young Animal is just make the best books we can. Exactly. You know? And that was, to me, the most important... You know, there's three uh, women leads in the Young Animal books, arguably, if you, if you count... Casey Brink, you know, and that, it wasn't really by design, it's just what happened. You yeah. know, Mother Panic was always going to be a woman because yep. that's how, you know, she was conceived and things like that. And mm -hmm. um, it was important to Shelly and I to make sure all women were on the team of Shade the Changing Girl yep. and have that be that. But, you know, I think that people deserve to have a choice and putting that choice out there without saying, like, you have to read this because X, Y, Z. Right. Um, I don't think we're saying to anybody that, you know, well, you are super awesome if you read the Young Animal books, but, but we're not saying if you don't read them, you're a bad person. Right. Like, we're not, um, I don't think the books have an agenda. The books just right. want to be special and different and fun, and I think that was part of the goal of the Young Animal. And that's one of the things that I think is important in having comics be more diverse, is that it all has to have a great level of quality from every individual creator. And so by bringing together and giving chances to people who are incredibly talented, for them to reach a wider audience, the odds after that is established of other voices and more people of color and more uh, women writing comics coming into the business becomes a little bit of an easier transition. And, and certainly um, there is a, a very different um, percentage of comic professionals now, say, than there were 20 years ago that uh, there's a lot more women working in comics, there's a lot more people of color working in comics, and, um, and I think comics have gotten better. Yeah. No, you know, they I definitely because have. of it. Yeah. You know, they're just more, you know, just, there's just a lot of options now, they're just yeah. very different and vibrant, and, you know, new voices and, and different perspectives, you know, but with Young Animal, it came down to, like, who are the best people to do these books? Like, who is the specific voice that we want Shade to have, you yeah. know? And, and Cecil really fit that, you know? And Certainly, you know, um, if, if you look at, at Cecil's list of credits and you're looking at um, some great young, young adult books in the Plain Jane series, um, you know, anybody read the Plain Jane series? Anyone familiar with her musical work? Uh, she was That's in a couple right. of great bands, you That's know? Right. Um, Cecil first came out of Canada as a band member of the group Bite, and then um, they didn't record any music together, but then she launched another band 
um, I think called Nerdy, Nerdy Girl. Girl. Nerdy Girl, yeah. yeah. Which I just discovered. We Cecil and I were having uh, lunch, and we were talking about Shade and where she wants to take it, and it's it's going some really cool places, and I'm very excited about it. Um, but she was like, oh, yeah, I'm a musician. And then I went, she's like, I go, is it, is it on Apple Music? Can I get it? She goes, yeah. And I went and downloaded all her albums. And yeah. It's amazing. Like, I just had no idea that's, that's one of the things she did. Which has got to so. be kind of awesome. You know, you work in a project with Gerard Way, and he finds out that you had a band, and then he downloads all your music and listens to it. We talked about doing um, a Shade song together. So, because we've... Um, We've, you know, you heard it here first. We've now started um, doing music, which is something I wasn't fully expecting because I like to keep the music and the comics separate. But um, I thought if I could make music that wasn't necessarily totally me, and it and it could be perceived as somebody else making the music, and I could get guests and different people, um, that we could make some songs that come from the world of Young Animal, like the Cave Carson song we just put out. Um, that is supposed to be a song from a documentary in the 70s or 80s about Cave Carson and his family. So with Shade, we'll have to figure out how does that come from Shade's world? Is this, is this a band that Cecil fronts that Shade listens to that she discovers? Like, right. And that's my first instinct, you know? And um, who read Shade the Changing Man back in the day in the 90s? Anyone? Yeah. Any fans? Now the... Aside from just changing the gender of the main character in this, this reboot of the series, the alien uh, consciousness enters uh, the body of a girl in a coma who's actually a bully. And so there's this kind of fear of people, of this, this girl, who just know this girl because of how mean she is. And uh, the alien intelligence trying to come to grips with why it's being treated this way not just because it's an alien but because this particular body has baggage and it's I think incredibly important that a story of that um, of that level it's kind of heavy in some ways um, comes from someone who has such great experience writing young adult novels and has tackled kind of the opposite of that in, in several of her books and um, a really, really interesting take of the character. Um, full disclosure, Shade the Changing Man was my favorite series in the 1990s, and I love Shade the Changing Girl. And um, one other thing that I really love about it is that it has a backup story, and um, one of the artists who's done a backup story for, for Shade the Changing Girl, one-pager, is Natalia Hernandez, and it's her first published work, and she is, of course, the daughter of Gilbert Hernandez of Love and Rockets fame. So, a little second-generation love, you know? We're there. very, very happy to have her, um, to be doing, to, doing that backup story with her dad. It was amazing. Because yeah. I remember doing, uh, we did a signing at Meltdown, and I sat right next to the Hernandez family, and she was there with her mini-comics, which were amazing. She was about 11 years old. Yeah, that's the what they said. I was like, yeah. wow, was she, was she like 11 at the time? I think that's so, crazy. Yeah. Um, you know, because Shade, the Changing Man, had, had changed genders... I felt that it was comfortable for us, and it didn't feel like we were breaking steel or bending steel to do it, to, right. to change the gender it's of in the, the canon. character. It's in the canon. Yeah. It's happened, you know. Um, Rack Shade became a woman for one issue, two issues. Two issues so. Um, and so it was like a no-brainer to say, like, okay, well, let's, let's you know, take the mythology. I mean, to me, it's in continuity with the old Shade. Yes. You know, it's important that the Young Animal books were in continuity with, um, 
the, the stuff from the 90s that we were kind of tributing, you know. Yeah. So more on like a Star Wars type of continuity than say like a remake. Con- yes. Know, oh thing. yeah. It's stuff. I don't feel like any of this stuff is a remake or a reboot right. at all. I mean, I guess a reboot is anything that you start up again. So right. maybe, but I don't know. Reboots usually when you wipe the slate, though, yeah. right? We're not doing that. You know, the, the, it's more like yeah, like a Star Wars continuity. It's all connected. Yeah. Know? It wasn't bleached and started over. No, it was important to us not to do that. Now, let's talk about Cave Carson Has a Cybernetic Eye. Yeah. Um, great series. Thank Have, you. Has everybody seen the first issue? Yes. Yeah, yeah it's great stuff. Now, the, um, what an obscure character. Yeah, he's pretty obscure. This is a character that you found in an encyclopedia in Dan DiDio's office? Yeah, we're, I was in Dan DiDio's office, and this is right when we decided, probably the same meeting, yeah. that I sat down and he said, well, what would you call it? And I said, young animal. and. Mm-hmm. Um, we would later come to find out that Young Animal was the name of a kind of a softcore um, nudity magazine in Japan. <laughs> so we added the DCs in front of it, and right. and the, it's not published in America, so we're 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 pretty clear on that. Trademark, but, you're you're safe. He loved the name, and then he said, "Let's do it." And then he handed me this encyclopedia of DC Comics, mm-hmm. and. Uh, I was really excited, and I went home, and I started flipping through it, and I had just ordered all of the old Who's Who's yep. from eBay, because I knew that was going to have characters that weren't in the encyclopedia. I right. knew that. But then I came across this entry that was literally like a half an inch, and it, said, it just said Cape Carson, and I was like, right away, like, I love the name. And then it said he was an expert geologist, a spelunker. Um, I, I don't even think he's great at hand-to-hand combat. I think he just... I think it just says he's competent. It's like Race Bannon. Yeah, he's like Race Bannon from Johnny Johnny Quest. Totally. Um, And uh, and he has a cybernetic eye. And I was like, I was like, why doesn't it say anything else about this? Like, how did he get the eye? And then it it turns out nobody knows how he got the eye. We did some research, and he showed up in Resurrection Man in the '90s, reintroduced as having a cybernetic eye. But it was it was kind of like back in the day where. People were like cyborgs a lot because of Terminator. Yeah. And it was like one of those things a little bit where he had this really intense cybernetic eye. It's not like the eye in our books. It's like bolted on. It was death lock. Yeah, exactly. Like head equipment type of thing. But the the writer used this really great trick, which is to say like he put the eye on the character to show that he had had adventures in between the last time you saw him that you didn't know about. Right. And I love that storytelling device. I love that trick. Open-ended on both sides. Open-ended. So, so the writer never said where it came from or who made it or why he has it or anything. So it gave us a lot of room to play with that. And what's it like writing with John Rivera? It's amazing. I mean, we met in a comedy writing class in, at SVA. And, um, you know, we were the only two people that made each other laugh in the whole class. And nobody else laughed at our stuff. Um, John's about six feet tall. Yeah, he's about six feet tall. Big guy. Incredibly yeah. jovial. Great yes. dude. Great dude. Uh, been really close friends for a long time and a lot of times we would sit around and just make up stories anyway yeah that's what we do it over the years I mean we worked on TV shows together Uh, he wrote a film script with Mikey so like he's he's kind of our you know sometimes he's our writing buddy wow yeah it's like the unofficial maybe after Grant's seventh member of uh, My Chemical Romance yeah So whenever we need applause, I'm just going to say MCR, and you can share. (laughs) 
Well, um, now let's talk about um, let's talk about Mother Panic. Sure. Now, um, takes place in Gotham. Takes place in Gotham. Yeah. Um, wears all white. Wears all white. Is a female vigilante, a la Batman, and that she's wealthy. Yes. And go. Oh, let's see. Well, <laughs> she makes people angry. Mm-hmm. Um, we wanted to explore fame a lot. We really did. We wanted to explore kind of what it means today, our obsession with fame, um, what it takes to make a person famous these days as opposed right. to what it used to take back right. in the day. Um, and she is somebody that just happens to be famous because um, her dad mysteriously died when she was young mm-hmm. and um, she has a lot of money. And that's wow. kind of the only two reasons. She's like this polarizing figure. I mean, she's also famous because she says what she's thinking. She's like an orphan celebutant who's not afraid to speak her mind. Yes, basically, yeah. Okay. yeah. And so Jody Hauser, who um, is writing the title, you may know for Faith. Yeah. Great comic, and um, she's, doing, she's done ad- adaptations of Attack on Titan and um, Orphan Black, but she also wrote Cupcake Pow. Oh, I'm not familiar. Yeah, which is, uh, I think, the first webcomic I ever read. Oh, cool. Yeah, and, and, and the type of thing that would show up being shared on my friend's timelines uh, on Facebook. I'm like, oh, this is great. Yeah, she's an amazing writer. Um, she helped create the character. She helped shape that character. Again, it, a lot of the Young Animal stuff was just kind of like core concept stuff, mm-hmm. and then we would sit down and start collaborating with the writers. And, you know, Tommy and I were working on Mother Panic a little before Jody came on, getting the look right, getting certain details right. Like, yeah. it's important to show that she was dressed like somebody in Los Angeles. It was kind of, a, you know, where she spends a lot of money to look like she doesn't give a shit. And right. Like, <laughs> you know, and that was important. Fred Seagulls. Yeah, because, you know, you see, uh, as represented in comics, sometimes people that are, like, famous or celebrities, and they're, mm. they, you know, they're dressed to the nines, and, yeah. and we're like, no, 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 Vi- you know, Violet's going to be different than that. Like, all I do now is write, constantly. I have to go write when I leave, which is why I'm leaving so early. <laughs> Gotta give him a, a pad for the car ride on the way back home. <laughs> well, I have to, like, write on my phone in car rides now. Or I bring a notebook, and it's really hard to write in cars, but... You get motion sickness. Yeah, yeah exactly. Same way. And then you can't read the notes, because yeah. they're, you know... So, it, Young Animal, obviously, it's, it's happening. It's, it's getting a lot of great feedback, and um, it is occupying a lot of your time. What were some of the ideas that you had pitched before or thought of, maybe I'll start working on this, that didn't happen that you don't think will become Young Animal titles in the future or won't be incorporated? Or do you constantly recycle ideas? Um, well, in terms of, like, to what I brought into Young Animal... Um, Just like, prior. Prior to that? Oh, there's a lot of stuff. I was working on a punk rock cat comic for a while that, mm-hmm. you know... But that character ended up in Doom Patrol, or is going to be in Doom Patrol. Yeah. Um, so... You know, I, I, yeah, sometimes I'll take ideas. You want these ideas to be out there. Like, Mother Panic started as a creator-owned idea where I was like, I'm going to... Basically, the idea was I'm going to take the whole Batman thing and really turn it on its head and make yeah. it hyper-violent and foul language and, you know, all kinds of stuff. And, and then I was like, eh, let's <laughs> give her to DC because yeah. she could live in Gotham then. How cool is that? And know? reach ostensibly a wider audience. Yeah, reach a wider audience. Yeah. And so what, what's been the biggest difference between working on a creator-owned title like Umbrella Academy and then working for DC? Um, so there's some Umbrella Academy fans out there, I take it. Yeah. 
you know, with Umbrella Academy, it's different because um, you have like years to write this stuff. You have a long time to, and, and in my case with Hotel Oblivion, many years to write the stuff. Um, but you're also still working on it on the bus when you yeah, were on tour. I, yeah, I still work, I work on it all the time. And what's different is like, you know, you get to, there's no audience when you start. You get to cultivate that audience. Yeah. But when you come on to something like Doom Patrol, you have, you should, I think, in my opinion, consider, as a writer, consider the people that were fans of this for a very yeah. long time, you know? Yeah. Um, so I think you take those considerations that you wouldn't take, you know, I, I, I don't, but now that Umbrella has an audience, I do think of the readers that love the first two. So when you showed some of the work that you were working on Doom Patrol to Grant, was it with hesitation or a combination of hesitation and pride? It was weird. I was pretty bold about it, and I don't know why. <laughs> like, I was just kind of like, and these are characters that are very near and dear to Grant, and I yeah. just started, like, spitballing um, my takes on them. Yeah. You know, but it's funny. I have to mention, the ambulance itself was Grant's idea. So he had worked on a film script for Doom Patrol, and he told me, I think what he said to me was, yeah, they get this old ambulance and they beat it up and they spray paint it and blah, blah, blah. And then I was like, but what if the ambulance was Danny? And he would just kind of look at me. Like, Danny the Street. Yeah, Danny yeah. the Street. I was like, what if you take Danny the Street, make Danny the Street, Danny the Ambulance? And, um, but the second issue's out now, so everybody kind of knows that, so I think. <laughs> so, um, but, um, you know, uh, but that was kind of like this weird jump off. And that's where you have the EMTs and things like that, just because this thing in his film script, that was just a visual detail, you know? Um, well, it's interesting, but. too, that there's the, the first part of the story has an almost kind of powers element to it. And you've got a guy that was working on powers working on Cave Carson. Right. And Cave Carson having a kind of cybernetic eye and that kind of weird science fiction aspect yeah. is like, well, Shade the Changing Girl is an alien. Right. But there is a kind of interesting, weird, wonderful, and, um, you know, fantastic element to the different series that all have a very different voice, but all work. Yeah. You know, it's like four things that work really well together. Yeah, they needed to work well together. That was important. And they need to be extremely different from each other. That was also very important, you know. Well, I think that's a really great place to end this, and I really want to thank Gerard Way for joining us. Thank you guys for having me. So there you go, folks. Those are all the interviews from SLLACC 2016. And, man, those are very cool. I have to thank the PR and marketing staff of the Stanley LA Comic Con for inviting Sunspots Comics as part of the press family. Thank you so much. And thank you for Mauricio Abril for allowing me to interview and getting that fantastic sketch. Definitely one of my favorite buys of the con. Ozobot for their fantastic interview with Morgan. Thank you so much. Zach Kaplan uh, from his image comic Eclipse. That was another one of my favorite buys, getting Eclipse issue number three in advance before it came out. So that was very cool. And thanks again for the short interview, Zach. Really appreciate it. I'm a big fan, as always. And, man, the Gerard Way interview, that was just nuts. I mean... I love him in My Chemical Romance and everything that he's done, so highly respected. And awesome that he's doing a, so many titles for DC right now in the Young Animal imprint. I mean, they're all in his fingernails. I mean, that's just so very cool. Someone who is uh, who knows the comic book world very well, Gerard Way. It's in good hands, that imprint. And I, I was sad that I didn't get the panel that was also one of my favorites. I didn't wasn't able to get audio there, but it was the... 
Batman 66 panel with the two Kevins. You had Kevin Smith, who was uh, the primary host, and also Kevin Conroy, the voice of Batman in the animated series. And you had Adam West as a guest. You had Burt Ward. You had Lee Merriweather, uh, Catwoman. Just very cool to see them, the originals, the OGs. And they. Uh, the best part about it was the quirky relationship between Adam West and Burt Ward. I mean, they just kind of like to, to break each other's balls, for lack of a better term. And that was a thing of beauty to see. If you ever get a chance, you want to see them in a panel together. It's uh, kismet, as they call it. It's just something magic. Very, very cool. And a couple of things I just wanted to point out was uh, just a, a, a favorite buy of mine that I'm so just geeking out over. And it's this James O'Barr The Crow print from The Crow comic book. Um, and it's a it's an awesome, very rare, numbered print, and it was signed by James O'Barr, and I got it for 20 bucks. I have to give, I promised him I would, a thank you to Mr. Don Wright of Pop Art Planet. Check them out at uh, popartplanet.com. If you ever get a chance to meet Don at a con, <laughs> you will get some great stories about the grandfathers of comics. This guy has met everyone in the business so mark it down if you ever get a chance he's always at the con selling unique art unique unique uh, autographs from some hard to find artists and people in the comic book world it's it's pop art planet thanks again mr don wright for the great deal and i promise he promised here he told me he'd give me the the print at that price if i mentioned him on a podcast so he listened so thank you very much again Don Wright at Pop Art Planet for that $20 James O'Barr. It's awesome. It's classic. It's taken from number two, issue number two of The Crow, and it's gorgeous. I'll blast it out on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter soon. And uh, th that was all that. Also, my favorite cosplay moment I have to mention is something I'll never, ever forget. There were two people dressed up. Uh, there was Purple Man, perfectly dressed up in this purple-like suit. His hair looked like him. He was a, a slender, white, kind of tall guy that looked like the actor that played him in the Netflix series. And he had uh, a girl he was with dressed as Jessica Jones. And he was standing there by himself when we were over by the celebrity signing area. I first, he caught my eye in this purple suit, and it looked just like him. And he just yells at the top of his, at the top of his lungs, Jessica! Jessica! And... I didn't see her, and out of nowhere, she just kind of zombie-like strolls up. I mean, that, it, it was awesome. It was just this cool moment where they it just had that little scene sort of acted out, and it was like I was watching the Netflix series Jessica Jones right there on the floor of the con near where the celebrity signing area was. So it was most definitely my favorite cosplay moment, and I'll never forget that. So there you go. That closes up the SLLACC for 2016. Gosh, I hope you enjoyed those interviews. I totally did. I had a blast. It was so much good time. I spent way too much money. Uh, my throat still kind of hurts. My feet were killing me. I mean, uh, I didn't take some of my own advice. I didn't hydrate well enough. <laughs> That's the key thing, folks. Hydrate if you go to a con and wear extremely comfortable shoes. So that closes that up. So the next thing on my nerd brain is the Doctor Strange movie. I've already bought my tickets uh, for the uh, Thursday show. 7 o'clock in IMAX 3D out in Ontario. I can't wait to see it. And again, you get that uh, first viewing special IMAX 3D sort of in, like laminated ticket, which is kind of very cool. I have the the one from uh, Suicide Squad and the one from uh, Captain America 3, so it's kind of cool to have those three in the set. Check it out online. You can see the special edition Regal Cinemas uh, first viewing IMAX 3D uh, laminated 
movie ticket. It's very, very cool. So I will be seeing that, and I'm so excited about it. And I have managed to just stay away from all the trailers, so I'm so excited. I mean, I did see a smidge of the first trailer, and I want to say where I saw it was maybe when I was watching Suicide Squad or something, and it was forced on me in the previews. But I closed my eyes, I, I covered my ears, and uh, my wife's always embarrassed when I do that, but I don't want to see comic book movie trailers. But I've managed to relatively stay away, so I'm going in fresh, really not knowing or seeing any visuals to the Doctor Strange movie. So I'm super, super excited, and I will be uh, talking about that on the next podcast and giving you a spoiler-free review uh, on the next podcast, number 79. And last thing on my nerd brain is I'm actually writing a comic book called Zombie Destroyers. I'm actually doing the writing, the coloring, the lettering, and my good friend Jordan Hudson is doing his fantastic, phenomenal art. Please check out his Instagram, at Jordan underscore Hudson underscore art. His art is really beautiful. Thank you so much, Jordan. And I do have the website, zombiedestroyers.com, where we've posted some samples of his work, the first four pages. So please check out zombiedestroyers.com from time to time. I would appreciate that. And also, just a quick little Zombie Destroyers update. I'm working on pages. I'm now working on the final pages. I can't believe it. Basically doing the 17 to 26, 27. We'll see how it goes with an added splash page I'm looking at adding. But we're in the final stretch, and it's so, so exciting. And uh, that's just a little Zombie Destroyer update. And next, I just want to quickly mention a segment that's really starting to pick up some steam, and I'm starting to get some submissions. And that is our spotlighting segment. And that is just basically where, if someone you know is an independent comic book creator, we want to shine some love, some light, and give some Sunspots comic support to those struggling creators, like myself, comic book creators. And we want to do what we can to just kind of get their name out there, talk about their social media, tell people where you can find their work. So if you or someone you know is a writer, an artist, a colorist, a letterer, just send me a link, send me a blast, either directly to my email, chris at sunspotscomics.com, or of course just hit me up on social media at sunspotscomics. So, now, let's uh, that all out of the way, let's get into my favorite part of the Sunspots Comic Podcast, which is my comic book reviews and recommendations, where I pick my favorite comic books for new comic book day, October 26th, and of course, spoiler alert, question mark, I don't really worry, I don't really worry, I don't really totally spoil them, I leave the last couple of pages alone, but uh, if you're the kind of person that likes zero spoilers... Uh, maybe read the comics first, but you don't have to worry about it. This is really just me trying to persuade you, trying to talk you in to getting off uh, the, the cheeks at the seats and get over to a local comic book shop and buy these comic books. So I'm really just trying to entice you. So don't worry really all that much about spoilers, but just in case, spoiler alert. And if you want to see everything that I'm reading, all of my favorite picks of the week since 2015, just go to sunspotscomics.com, click on the pull list, you'll see all the titles I'm currently reading, which is 121 titles. Yeah. Also, click on Top Comic Books of the Week to see all of my past favorite picks and my top selections. And that's just a great list to look at if you're just kind of, what should I buy? Well, it's all there for you at sunspotscomics.com. So please, please check it out. Every single week, I pick an art winner and a cover art winner. This week, it's one in the same person. It's Martin Marazzo from Electric Sublime issue number one. And he wins it for the best art this week and the best art cover. Take a look at Electric Sublime number one. It is pure beauty. It's mind-bending, it's trippy, it's full of colors. 
the cover is something just kind of mixed with a Salvador Dali painting and maybe some Van Gogh twisty in there, just psychedelic. And I love the sort of use of symbols. I mean, you even find a little bit of like sort of semi Pokemon symbols in this. A lot of circles, a lot of sort of roller coasters attached to strange sort of train like elements. It's just very mind bending and sort of a weird twisted kind of psychedelic dream. But the color palette used here, there's just so many like pinks and oranges and light sort of yellowy tone like like a sunset. They just constantly use that as kind of a backdrop and it has this warm tone and feel to it that I love, but at the same time, the storytelling is twisted and mind-bending, but it's tangible. It's, it, you can grasp it, you can understand it. It's a, it's a linear story that makes sense, and I, I really, really enjoyed this. I'll talk more about it later, but the art is gorgeous. It's hyper-realistic. They mix in some actual reference of, say, the Mona Lisa, and it's interesting how he sort of does some coloring there and some tweaks upon the Mona Lisa. And there is a neat symbol that they use of what the first chapter is called, called the Winking Woman. And it's just a total symbol you can see on a shirt. It looks like a guitar pick, but it's, it's two simple eyes and one is winking with this sort of straight mouth. It's like this emoji look and feel. I just like that. It's really doing some different stuff here. Uh, there's just a lot of sort of beautiful art reference in it. it. The comic itself is centered around the art world. So that hands down easily wins the art winner and cover art winner that this week, and that is Electric Sublime. Please check that comic book out. You will not be disappointed. Beautiful, beautiful art. It's by IDW, by the way. And also this week, to the breakdown, I bought 23 comics this week, and 10 of them made it to my favorite pick list. That's less than that 50%. I like to have, for my money, over 50% of the comic books that I pay for to be on that great level where I can recommend, I only recommend that you buy the greats. This week, unfortunately, was just a just a smidge, just a little dipped down under that 50%. But 23 comics, 10 of them made it to the top t to my top favorite picks. And I always like to point out the new number ones I happened to grab this week with that little extra bit of hope. And uh, I always like to, if they're really good, add them to my pull list. So that's when you see on sunspotscomics.com that that 121 titles just start expands. But this week there were two new number ones, and it's Bloodshot USA. So that's only sort of a semi-new number one. It's still Jeff Lemire writing. They've just kind of, uh, they're incorporating some of the other Valiant um, cast. So they've sort of renamed it Bloodshot USA and Electric Sublime. And both of them made it to the top picks this week. So super duper good stuff. They're on the pull list. Electric Sublime is for sure. So check that out. And Bloodshot USA, written by Jeff Lemire, has been consistently solid. Great story there. So no surprise that it's a new number one that made it to the top pick list and to my, my pull list. So there you go. Uh, here we go. We're going to break down now the my favorite comic book picks of the week. That's for New Comic Book Day, October 26th. So here we go. So coming in at number 10 is Frostbite. Frostbite is from Vertigo Comics. And that is by writer Joshua Williamson, who I love. He's doing Birthright and a few other things. The Flash, to name three titles of his that I'm currently collecting. Artist Jason Sean Alexander. If you remember a few podcasts back, he did an awesome sketch for me and a, and a fantastic interview. Check out Jason Sean Alexander's work. It's it's hyper-realistic. It's gritty. It's dark. He uses uh, like a copper brush where he pours ink on it and, and flicks it with his finger to add this splattery effect. And he uses that, that technique a lot. But this is uh, the premise of 
It's kind of funny that I'm reading Eclipse, which is the world destroyed by the sun. This is the opposite. This is frostbite, where the world is is in an ice age. It's uh, it's gone cold. And beyond that, there is this strange disease that is beyond just giving people frostbite where their limbs fall off. They will freeze super, super fast and and basically die from like this frostbite frostbite virus kind of thing. So it adds another sort of danger and scary element here. But this is focused around these two characters that are kind of bounty hunters, kind of drivers for hire that are taking this uh, daughter of a scientist to somewhere who, where she kind of claims that she may have the answer to the frostbite virus and she may have some information or maybe it's something in her blood you're not really sure there definitely there's a mysterious aspect here and and uh, Joshua Williamson's definitely taken his time Williamson's taken his time with this story to give you just enough to kind of pace it well and keep you interested but the main character here is uh, she's she's just um, she's a badass. She killed in the in the previous episode, whether it's uh, yeah the issue number one, where she killed the scientist, um, the the father of the da- of the girl that he's that she's transporting, and so she hasn't told her that. So that's that's sort of centered around that this this secret. She sort of uh, the main character regrets killing the um, this professor, but she had no choice. They sort of double crossed her and. It was in a firefight, and she didn't know who to trust. She didn't really know him, and she's kind of regretting that. And now she's sort of taken on this daughter as, like, a promise to him to keep her safe and to get her to where she needs to go to potentially cure this frost, frostbite disease. But it's this whole world is, is also a major part of the character here. They're all just dying from, from freezing to death. And they have they run into this sort of store that sells warmth, and there's just kind of this surfer dude there, and he's like, "Yeah, I can help you with some warmth. Like, come on in or whatever." And it's just this great little sequence of this surfer guy that's uh, he's peddling warmth, and it's like, it's like you know, instead of like a, a marijuana dispensary or whatever, it's like a weed dispensary, and that's kind of how they set it up there. And there's there's sales on warmth, and then these back rooms where you can get extra warm. It's just a <laughs> It's a, I love the sort of world building they've done here. But this is ultimately the story of uh, that she reveals early on, the main character, that she has the frostbite virus herself. And it doesn't seem like there's any cure for it. It's Even the art, on, it's beautiful how they draw it into her arm. It's like this, it's like this tattooing done on her arm of this beautiful, like, just ice work. And it's uh, Jason, Scott, Jason Scott Alexander, uh, just uh, all eight cylinders. He's just jamming with it. It's beautiful. But they are uh, running into some challenges here. They've got this, uh, the, There's they have to steal a vehicle. So there's this group hot on their tail. They're getting into trouble. They're running. They're, it's action-packed and adventure in it. And are they going to make it? Will they be safe? Will they be able to take this young woman to where she needs to go to, to finish uh, to help and find me. I think I think it's in her blood, honestly. Is They don't really talk about why she needs to get there or what she has, if there's something on her. But the action sequence with these awesome, like, giant snowmobiles is worth getting the comic all by itself. It's just these giant sort of tumbler snowmobiles that it's just this awesome, you know, chase sequence going through the snow. And it's a ton of fun. And that's why it's definitely my number 10. It's Frostbite. Check it out. And coming in at number 9 uh, from Boom Studios, this is a very long title, Edgar Rice Burroughs' Tarzan on the Planet of the Apes. This is written by David Walker, a uh, story by David Walker, David Walker and Tim Seeley, and art by Fernando Dagnino. 
and it's very throwback to that golden age, that those old style movies. But I love that it's incorporating so many different little aspects and movie timelines of the Planet of the Apes and Tarzan. I mean, it dips on Greystoke, The Legend of Tarzan. It dips into the current Tarzan movie. And of course, dips into the, the uh, Tim Burton, Planet of the Apes, and even the current ones referencing Caesar. So it's like a, it's just an amalgamation of all of those uh, movies just kind of all jammed in together. And this is where Tarzan now, or Lord Greystoke, is back home. He's away from his, uh, his home in the jungle. And he uh, has this very interesting uh, relationship with his cousin who really wants to be the uh, heir to the Greystoke Empire. So he's very sort of jealous of Tarzan. And you know he's plotting, you know he's planning. And sometimes he's just flat out open with it. He's just hostile towards him. But he wants to, he's trying to convince... Tarzan to bring him back to the jungle because there is this war that the apes are already they've already started with the people in the African jungle and the uh, poachers and so on so you have Caesar as your primary character there from the movie series and he is in charge of like Kershak from like the Tarzan Tarzan movies and cartoon series is one that pops right into my mind from Disney and so there's that blend of all these different time zones in this weird little you know, flex capacitor, time traveling back to the future mess thing that sort of happened, convergence that brings them all to the, all together. But it's just so much fun. It's this romp, and you have the the romp in London and Lord Greystoke there with the the problems with his cousin, to Caesar and his problems and trying to be the leader and you know rise up with the apes and make sure that he's leading them properly and writing in this journal and referencing his father. And he has this great conversation, Caesar, uh, ha with, with his mother, that's just very heartwarming and touching. And she is, you can tell, she is the very inspiration for Caesar being the, the, the king of the apes. Like, and it's very, very well done here. Props to the writing here. It's, it's just smart, it's intelligent, it's heartwarming. And then you have Tarzan and his cousin, that his cousin is uh, has this backup plan and starts this sort of mini war and wants to, he basically uses Tarzan to attack and uh, for Tarzan, because of his inside knowledge, and he, he considers brother uh, his brother uh, to be Caesar, and they have that close relationship there. And it's just it's just action packed. It's human versus ape, and and guns, and and the jungle, and it's just a ton of fun. I'm really enjoying it. It's not very he dialogue heavy. It's if you love Tarzan or you love Planet of the Apes, this is both of them, and it's doing it right. Props to the writing team here, and the art, like I said, is just very appropriate. It, it it actually has a very kind of, a little bit of that cartoony feel, so to me it has that sort of animated Tarzan's feeling to it, and I love that movie. So that's why I love this, and I, I recommend it. Definitely get uh, all of these, of course, but Tarzan is a little something special, I tell you. But coming in at number 8 is from Marvel Comics, Star Wars, issue number 24. And this is... Written by Jason Aaron, who of course is doing uh, Southern, Southern Bastards, which I can't wait till uh, to read. Uh, Southern Bastards 15 is coming out next week that, that Jason Aaron is writing, uh, but I'm looking so much forward to that next week. But also George Molina is doing art here, and I love that George Molina draws the entire entire Star Wars cast to really not look exactly like the actors and the movie references. He's just kind of doing his own thing, so it adds a little kind of quirky uh, look to them. They're a little squatted down. Han's neck is a little long. It just has this sort of kind of animated feel to it, but 
I like that. It, it separates it, and you're not constantly looking at the characters going, well, that doesn't look like Mark Hamill, and that doesn't look like Harrison Ford when he was 23. So it's just his own take. It does have a little more of a cartoony feel, but it really, really works. So they've hijacked a Star Destroyer. Yes, this normally takes 3,000 people to fly, and they've got 13 of them. <laughs> and Chewie trying to keep this ship together because they had to blast out a major part of it in order to steal it so it's just falling apart they're trying to get it to this place where there is this trade embargo going on at this planet where the empire is really just kind of taken over and they want to use that as their sort of trojan horse or as a suicide weapon itself and just launch the star destroyer into the heart of the empire that's on this planet well they're running into some problems because you have that elite rogue stormtrooper group here and you get to see their names and these stormtroopers which we were introduced to in issue 23 they hit stuff they shoot things and actually connect <laughs> this elite uh combat squad of star stormtroopers is something i want to see a whole lot more of i mean they look different their stormtrooper outfits are shaped differently and they are hiding out in this star destroyer waiting for the right moment to sort of take on the rebels and crash this thing or take it back over so they're plotting and doing their little thing there is a ragtag group of rebels <laughs> as they are uh, that are helping luke and han and leia and c-3po and Chewie. it's nice that they're just all together on a ship and this just seems very it's a compact story and very action-packed and it's it's like it just feels authentically star wars and i love that it doesn't feel like a random uh, sci-fi series of some sort and again, it doesn't have that movie reference, so it's not just tied to that, but this is just full-on action. It's non-stop. There's very little dialogue. It's one of those comics you read in about three minutes. And Luke Skywalker goes toe-to-toe -to -toe with one of the elite Stormtrooper group that has a lightsaber. Yes. And so Luke, as at this point in his Jedi training, he's still the very much the the student. The He's in his introductory phase. He's in that... 30-day trial part of being a Jedi or something. And yes, he has to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with an elite stormtrooper that has obviously had a lightsaber longer than he has, but but doesn't look like he has the Force. I mean, Luke barely has the Force. <laughs> he even references that Luke, uh, that it's that it's cute, that he is trying to use the Force here. So uh, I don't want to spoil every aspect of this fight scene, but it is great. It is top-notch stuff. And then you got... Chewbacca going after this elite group, so they're breaking up, they're intelligent, they're working as a team, as an actual squad. I like that because you know how stormtroopers normally are. I mean, uh, and this is the very much the opposite, so it's refreshing. And you you should just get it for that, this this elite team. this And I love their names. There's like, one of them's name is Zook, and uh, <laughs> and he's just, he's very much the brute. I like that, that that's his name, Zook the Brute. And it's it's good stuff. I mean, these stormtroopers, this elite group, they have like a rock. They have rocket packs. They have a lot more weaponry attached to them. The, uh, one stormtrooper just has like a black arm that seems to be semi, like robotically enhanced, because uh, he seems extra strong from it. I mean, they use knives. These stormtroopers use knives. So to me, it was really kind of focused around their sabotage of the rebels. And uh, this doesn't look so good for the good guys in this one. But I love this so good, and got a feeling Star Wars. Issue 25 is going to maybe wrap this up. So I'm looking forward to that in 30 days. So check out Star Wars. Will not disappoint. And beautiful, like I said, cartoony style Star Wars art from Mr. Jorge Molina. 
So coming in at number seven is Aliens <laughs> Defiance. Number six, issue number six. This is from Dark Horse Comics. This is written by Brian Wood. I mean, Brian Wood is a fantastic writer, and this is one of my favorite artists right now, Tristan Jones. And he's the one I always mess up on Instagram. You can check him out at, at Tyrone Jones. And it is beautiful, hyper gritty. It's within that Aliens movie realm. If you love that Aliens movie, if you love any of the Aliens franchise, yeah, there's some stinkers in there, whatever. But if you like the Aliens franchise, you will love this. It's it's hardcore, it's dark, it's the story of our main character, Zulu Hendrix, who has this really debilitating back injury, and she really needs to be in some advanced scientific gear and she's not and she's in pain and she's battling that she can hardly stand at times and she is on a mission to destroy aliens which is set her uh she's AWOL because of it and she's with this Davis bot who is uh, a synthoid a synth synthetic human that we've seen that is that bleeds milk which is just weird right or it's just this white milky blood substance but he is also AWOL as well, and he's denying his uh, his upgrades because he links into the system, and he's denying that to act more human. And he's he somehow even knows how to defy his programming to have to be more sensitive and understanding with with Zulu Hendrix's injuries. But they've run into this <clears throat> this other ship that they're going to blow up because it's infested with aliens. And there is a woman scientist that managed to hide away and be alive. So they've they've added their crew. They're now a crew of three. And she knows her way around the ship, but the aliens are closing in. This is basically your run for your life. Uh, we need to close airlocks. Airlocks are broken. Then you have the face-hugging crawlers that are chasing them. I mean, it's just exciting. <clears throat> I love how uh, Davis here just tosses he uh, the red-haired new scientist that's just been added to their crew has a face hugger it's grab it's wrapped around her it's intense it's exciting it's drawn so beautifully well davis comes up he's definitely augmented in strength throws the face hugger in midair and just in one shot blasts it uh with like an incendiary round because it just goes up in flames and the acid spray there it's just this beautiful sequence so she's just on this mission to to fly throughout space and blow up as many ships as she can because the the uh, group, the uh, the business, I want to say it's, uh, I forgot the name of it already, but the, the company that's hot on their tail that is uh, trying to just capture a sample, they're hot on their trail. They're sending Marines after them, and last issue, she reached out to her psychiatrist for some, some help, and that was not a good move because that put the, the Colonial Marines uh, on their tail to get the alien sample so they can weaponize it. So... That's the core of this. It's super fun. And are they going to keep this new professor alive? Uh, are they? They're, they're, they're limited weaponry. They're, they've got to go out into the airlock here. So there's a little spacewalk that's very tense. And it's very low dialogue. But it is a ton of fun. And these Marines are hot on their tail. And what's going to happen? Man, I love this comic. I read it in about it would say, what seemed like 15 seconds. It was that good. But check out Aliens Defiance from Dark Horse. It is beautiful stuff, and like I said, beautiful, gorgeous art from Tristan Jones, and written by Brian Wood. His his writing is just spot on. He's really captured the essence of the Alien franchise, and uh, these all need to be movies, in my opinion. Beautiful stuff. So coming in at number six is 
from Marvel Comics, Poe Dameron. And this, I think, uh, the number one issue was on my favorite pick list, and then it's kind of fallen off from there. And this is uh, kind of a, this is a new arc, and it's a new art team, and I really enjoyed this heavily. This is written by Charles Soule, who's written Daredevil. He's the guy that's the attorney, comic book slash comic book writer. And this is a new art team from Angel, uh, artist Angel Unzueta. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Unzueta. And uh, colorist Frank D. Armada. And this has Poe uh, after the whole sort of first arc, uh, which check it out. It was definitely worth reading. Uh, the first issue in, was my favorite of them all, honestly. They were good, and but this one made that great level. And this shows Poe being asked to meet a friend that is a, a journalist at this uh, at this space station that primarily has a lot of wind uh, type ships, wind based ships. So it seems like a very windy planet, and he's on like these floating ships, which is a cool visual all in itself. And there's Poe, and I like also in in the same vein of the Star Wars twenty four. They, it's still sort of movie reference, the actor, uh, what's his name, uh, Isaac, but uh, it's not so heavily uh, anchored by it. So it, it does have a little cartoony look to the, the actor, and you don't have to so worry about it. It is a couple of times where he really takes some digital reference, Oscar Isaacs, and makes it look like him. But other than that, he veers from it, and you don't think about it too much. But he meets this friend, this very unique, interesting character, which I want to see more of, you want to see in the Star Wars universe. I hope she's in Episode 8 or 9 or whatever in the future. But her name is Serlinda Javos. And she is this blue alien creature with this strange sort of spine going down the middle of her forehead. And she's just got this awesome sort of, you know, space adventure sort of outfit. And strange looking hands and, and spiked teeth and pointy ears and very cool visual. And they're, they're friends. There's really a heartwarming moment here where uh, Poe takes her request and meets her there. And that she claims she has some important information. She claims to be uh, being chased by the First Order, and she has information on the location of the First Order and sort of what they're up to, but she won't tell Poe. She says, I need to tell it directly to Leia. So already you're, for me, I'm reading this going, okay, it's a double cross. She just wants to get close to Leia. We can't let that happen. Uh, this is, but but the heartwarming moment of, of, their, of them catching up and talking about old times, it gives you a glimpse into Poe a little more and deepens his character because honestly, there hasn't been too much of that, right? I mean, we just kind of know him as this kind of fun-loving, very positive, upbeat, uh, awesome uh, pilot. But this just gives a little glimpse, a little bit more about him, a friend. And they reference some older times and when they were when they were in the Navy. And I like that. It gives you more to chew on with Poe. So I really like that. And this and Sir Linda is this unique, interesting character. She's a journalist, but they're instantly thrown into running away from some bad guys. They don't look like the First Order, but they're after her for some reason. And it's just, it's just non-stop from there. It does not stop. And does he take her to see Leia? Do they escape these people chasing him on this weird floating barge-like planet? Uh, very singular in weather, it seems like. <laughs> that they do in the Star Wars world, which is windy. <laughs> but, yeah, they're, I mean, he has to pilot this this wind ship. And they're, they're running from this alien armada. Do they meet the First Order? Does the First Order find them? Do they make it to Leia? It's just all a fun space age fun romp. And I, like I said, the core of it is meeting this new character. The 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 little bit of a peeling of uh, the layer of 
of Poe Dameron a little bit so you can see and understand and and and, and just love him a little more because you get to understand a little bit more of him but action-packed so much fun uh, there's twists there's a couple of uh, oh didn't see that coming little surprises I can't I don't want to spoil it I'm not going to but check out you can a great jumping on point you don't even have to read the one through six pick up issue number seven of Poe Dameron it is good stuff Charles Soule has got a handle on this character and I like that he wanted to give us more of Poe so good stuff so coming in at number five is Bloodshot USA. Bloodshot USA is from Valiant Titles, written by Jeff Lemire, art by Doug Braithwaite, and this is nuts. I honestly, right off the bat, when they changed it to Bloodshot USA, the name of it, instead of Bloodshot Reborn, and did another number one, I I, I get that Marvel DC little uh, little itch in the back of my neck, like oh they're just renumbering, uh, and Valiant really isn't all about that continually renumbering but you can kind of see why here and it makes sense because they're infusing other characters in the valiant universe but this picks up where where bloodshot reborn left off which is the bloodshot crew are we're stra- are stranded on a on a on a raft after escaping bloodshot island and of course they got uh, blood sparky the dog and this shows a little bit of that Project Rising spirit. We they see them on we see them on the raft, the Bloodshot team, trying to get back to civilization, starving, hunting sharks, <laughs> eating them. Uh, their nanites are providing some sustenance, but they seem to be withering away. Uh, and this shows that Bloodshot, uh, the Project Rising spirit, ultimately shows their plan here, which is to infect the human race with the Bloodshot virus and then provide the cure for it, making them the multi-billion dollar industry that uh, has the entire world by the shorties, and that's their master plan, which you never really understand what it is until that, until this moment, because we see Project Rising Spirit, it's referenced, our character Bloodshot is continually running from them, or finding them, trying to find them, or destroy them, or seek revenge on them, and this just defines that, and gives you that storyline. I love it. And so now it uh, kind of takes this comic into a little larger, ep- more epic scale, into a larger world here. And we do get to see uh, uh, the uh, character that's kind of Silver Surferish. She's a woman that Bloodshot knew named Kay. Her name is Checkmate, if I remember correctly. And she uh, is sort of fighting her own personality. I like that, that, that Bloodshot knows her and her name is Kay, but they're reprogramming her and there's these scenes in the lab where they're definitely doing experiments on her mind and and they're controlling her and she has this she is kind of like powered like the silver surfer but or if silver surfer were to be combined with the t2000 terminator she has like liquid arms and can create like complex weaponry from it and it's it's very cool character checkmate so then they've gone ahead and and unleashed just a small part of the bloodshot virus into just New York, right? Because it's New York, you got to do it. It's Manhattan. <laughs> that's where it's all done. That's where they always. Exp- that's where all the evil companies experiment and try to take over the world as in New York. And then you have Ninjak picking up the entire bloodshot team, and that's where it gets interesting because bloodshot knows um, Ninjak. They have a history there. There is. Uh, um, some nice back and forth and some dialogue again uh, giving a little more reference into the ninja character which is very interesting he's to me he's like kind of the batman of the valiant universe but he's a ninja he's even like black and purple and silver and has a yellow utility belt (laughs) there you go valiant but 
Ninjak is interesting here, and they have a rapport, and they talk a little bit about what's happening. Ninjak sort of brings all the bloodshots to up to speed, and I love the dialogue coming out of uh, uh, the the bloodshot Vietnam Vietnam version, and he's just very throwback into that era, and they just have a great conversation in this awesome ship that Ninjak is flying, his uh, you know Ninja Mobile, whatever it is, <laughs> but. This kicks off where there are other, two other characters that uh, one of them is named Jin Gr, and this also this other flying character. I want to say her name is Capshaw, but they go into Manhattan and they are turned into they are infected by the Bloodshot virus, and that's as far as I want to go. So that sets the the stage here. You've got the Bloodshots back in action. You got Ninjak picking them up. You got Project Rising Spirit that have uh, monologued and laid out their plan to infect New York. And Jin Gr is like this giant robot. It's very awesome with like this floating head. And Capshaw is kind of a. She seems like a like a. She's flying. She's maybe has like sort of superwoman powers basically. And she's infected. And how's that going to work? And is Jin Gr infected? Because he's just kind of taken out of commission here. I don't want to say what happens because it's a very cool action sequence. But it's fun. It's action packed. It's setting a big stage here. Jeff Lemire still on writing is is doing a fantastic work. Fantastic job here of writing and uh, Doug on art very realistic uh, The coloring is a little more on the animated side, but good stuff some great panels with that giant robot Jin GR So here we go now moving on coming in at number four is from the boom studios publishing uh, Frank Cho is writing this it's called Skyborn issue number two of five and uh, Frank Cho is a fantastic phenomenal artist I was lucky enough to get a sketch from him a couple of cons ago, and this is uh, Frank Cho on writing, colored by Mar Mar Mauricio Menz, and he created it, he, he wrote it, he illustrates it, Frank Cho from top to bottom. His art is beautiful, it's so super clean, it's very realistic looking, um, it reminds me a little of Ryan Otley, it's kind of within that frame they so, of the Invincible series, check out Ryan Otley's work. And also Grizzly Shark. I love Grizzly Shark. But Frank Cho has done a ton of things, ton of titles. He's a veteran in the business. He's a fantastic artist. It's it's beautiful. He gets people criticize him, or maybe not necessarily in the comic world, but for drawing women in way too of a ridiculous sort of voluptuous nature. But uh, he's toned that down here with his female characters, and this is setting the stage for because there's the there's this three immortals. There, there's a father and two kids they don't say anything about the mother but this is an introduction to the uh the son uh character here uh, i've already forgot his name already but he's hiding out in china and the setting here is fantastic and he's super strong he's immortal he's like lifting rocks helping like giant rocks helping them rebuild a wall and he's just hiding out in china and this is like his mentor his pastor his I'm not sure if he really is a pastor from his dialogue here <laughs> If that's just his uh, costume or something, because he doesn't talk to be a, a, a man of the cloth, but he looks like one. <laughs> and this is him trying to convince him that in the previous issue, his sister was quote unquote killed by the sword Excalibur. And they show a flashback here where he has wanted death, like, and his sister sort of gave off that vibe as well that. They've lived so long that they kind of want it to end, and they don't think they can be killed. And I, I, I already, I dig that concept. It's like, uh, you know, when vampires live too long and they want to end it, but they can't. Like that, the way sort of Anne Rice uh, writes some of their vampires. So I, I love that that respect to this character and 
and it's sort of maybe kind of true. It w hits me that way anyway. If you were immortal, you would want to end it soon, at some time. So, he hears of the story of his sister's death and immediately has this flashback of this woman that he cared for. And the way they reference it, but not in a really clear way, is that she, she died of old age. So, maybe that's also why he uh, sort of wants to end it. So, it's, it is sort of this heartbreaking, very touching uh, little glimpse into, you know, mortality and and maybe how that the circle of life and how we we are born, we we live and we die is important because it sets seems to set this character off balance where he's kind of suicidal, and the, it, it doesn't seem that woman is there anymore in his life with this horrible dream that he has, <laughs> a very Terminator style of dream where the bomb drops, but very cool sequence, and the pastor does convince him to come back and find that sword, and there is an organization that is very much against their organization and. He, the young man has been out of out of it, sort of semi-retiring for many years, and he barely ages, because he's referenced that in a lot of ways, and he meets his group of people kind of like a Alfred, uh, a, a definitely like an Alfred-like character that is close to the young man, and they have a, a moment of warmth, so it's really character building, I guess, in this. It's really setting a, a very interesting stage. The, the characters are developed very well. I mean, props to Frank Cho here that uh, they're interesting and you want to see more of them. I want more of this sort of this sort of Alfred-like butler. I want more of the preacher and I want more of the immortal young man himself. And it's uh, well written. And they meet kind of a J. Jonah Jameson colonel <laughs> of their, their compound, of their organization, that is telling them that, yeah, there is a, uh, a, a powerful being that's killed his sister. He, he needs to go after him, but he needs to train first. And there's this great training sequence where they have like a prison with a ton of all of these strange monsters and beasts and cyclopses and 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 rhino-like men and he goes into train and does not do well and that whole sequence is great because you expect this sort of kick-ass awesome moment and yeah he fails <laughs> and so you're like oh my gosh is he going to be able to investigate this sister's murder or and find and fight this organization that is uh, he they think going to try to take over the world so <laughs> kind of refreshing and unique where the good guy with all these powers uh, doesn't do so well in his training and uh, how's he gonna do I like that it's kind of a refreshing kind of real take but check out Skyborn beautiful art gorgeous colors it's just uh, just a flood of bright beautiful colors and then like I said the story centered around these very interesting immortal like superpowered individuals so that now brings us to the top three conflicts of the week so here we go we're now breaking into the top three and coming in at number three is Renato Jones. And Renato Jones is, oh my goodness, I am loving this. This is something very special and unique. Um, I'm very surprised by Renato Jones every time it comes out. This is, the whole thing is Renato Jones, the 1% choke on this. And this is issue number five. This is created, written, drawn, colored, and owned by Care Kyle Andrews. And uh, this got to give uh, props to the uh, the letterer also because there's some unique lettering and design laid out. It's Jeff Powell. But this is the story of a man that is going after the one percent. That's going after the billionaires that are that are evil and corrupt and horrible people. And this is sort of the last thing that he does to tie his. To, to break away from his ties of his old life because he is a billionaire himself 
but he's not a, a horrible billionaire like the rest of these. So this sets him up uh, right off the bat. Um, this woman that he knows that lives across the street, you sort of see a glimpse into this woman, and they don't explain the connection, but she's living this just sort of general suburban life, and she's a single mom, and she's from this other country, which they don't reference, and she lives like across the street from someone that our main character, Renato, has been involved with as well. So it seems like he's got ties to both these women, and one of them is the daughter of this rich billionaire. And then he's in this... I mean, some of the two-page splashes here are very adult in nature, um, very twisted, like... He's eating sushi off a woman here, and the and the sushi writes out his name, Renato Jones. Like, that's the title sequence of this two-page splash. And it's just eye-popping. I mean, it's it's the framework of this is so interesting and weird and unique and multicolored. And this has him, ultimately, like I said, as the breaking off ties of his old life by taking out, and I don't want to say how, uh, the woman that he was, uh, that's the daughter of this billionaire, um, and it's a, a, a really kind of cool way that he does it. And the, and then he's, um, after he, he does that, he, he uh, goes to this other party of billionaires and is, uh, is seduced by this billionaire into going to another room with a ton of ladies. And they end up being like these psycho killer robots, like, like insane sequence here. And there's like a, well, they, they burst through a window on the top floor of this, this skyscraper. And it goes into this like black and white checkerboard, insane looking panel. It just switches gears and changes colors to just black and white. I mean, this comic is nuts. If I've showed some people to this, uh, people this comic, including my wife, just to, to look at the panels and the color, it's nuts. He does these extreme far away pulled away shots of like a sweatshop, like an like an Apple industry. That's kind of what this billionaire is. Is uh, ultimately they're totally making fun of Apple and Samsung. As a matter of fact, there's a point in here where he has sabotaged the cell phone to explode. Yeah, hello Samsung. Crazy. But uh, that's, I mean, there's even this strange four pages of just white. And it's just weird where they show a Learjet sort of slowly coming into to color and frame. Like where it's going through dense fog. And it's like four pages of white except for this slightly drawn picture of a Learjet getting closer and closer and closer in these four pages. You have to see it. It's the it's weird. It's weird, but it's it's very unique and it's it's stands alone. It's something very different. And with that, uh, the ties being broken to Renato's old life and to people that he sort of knew, maybe except for that one woman that's the single mom, he's now ready to sort of take on and attack and with this sort of new lease now, this new sort of even more vengeful sort of feeling to take on that one percent. So it, it, you know, it has some interesting uh, topical, uh, you know, lines of, of information here that, uh, like the Samsung thing and billionaires that are corrupt and doing horrible things and like this Apple slash Samsung company. So there's there's thing here things here that are relevant and frightening and it's just a unique comic book, insane, complex twisted great story and i'm in on this i definitely recommend picking up one through four but this is kind of like where the arc would restart maybe a jumping on point here with with number five but uh top-notch work here from care kyle andrews just gorgeous that's why it's my number three so coming in at number two is the art and cover winner of the week which is electric 
Sublime, issue number one from IDW. This is written by W. Maxwell Prince and art winner, cover winner, Martin Morazzo. And I already explained his psychedelic sort of look, the sunset colors that are being used, oranges, yellows, whites, a very warm toned colors. But man, how do you explain this? This is weird, but it's not that weird. Um, also props to Matt Lopes. It looks like he did a lot of the, uh, the colors. He did all the colors. Definitely has a very warm palette of, uh, like I said, even on that tinge of lots of browns and washed out uh, grayish colors. But this, this initially sets the tone with, uh, they're in France, uh, they're, they're going to, there's a group of people looking at the Mona Lisa, and they realize when they look at it that she's winking at them. <laughs> and the reaction by the, by the art uh, dealer, the person that's uh, taking them into the, uh, the gallery and explaining to them uh, is fantastic. He's freaking out, and he knows that he has to call a special team because something strange has happened. This is, does this kind of remind me of the Art Ops series where it's a twisted version, twisted reality on art that's coming to life? This has a smidge of that, and I actually really enjoyed that, Art Ops. And that was by the Allred uh, team, the All, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Allred. So check that out, Art Ops. But this uh, it didn't get as weird as that. This uh, definitely uh, stays on a, a tangible story here. Uh, as they see the winking lady, the winking uh, Mona Lisa, and they know they have to seek out this team that can uh, repair this sort of problem. There's a, a, a shot here of the Mona Lisa uh, done digitally where it's just it's beautiful I mean well uh, lit and looks very uh, much authentic but it's winking and it's uh, it's a memorable piece of, of frame work here of art that uh, I'll never forget it's just it made me laugh out loud seeing the Mona Lisa uh, actually smiling a little and they did such a great job with the digital rendering here and winking um, I don't know if they did it digitally it looks so perfect it's just uh, it's it's hilarious <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> Hiccups. Um, so you have to see it for just that. And then you have this, uh, you can tell there's this secret uh, group of um, maybe CIA or art operatives that uh, there's a one particular a director that goes to see, her name is D Director Breslin, that goes to see a man in this, uh, in this, this uh, psych ward, in this mental ward, and it's a uh, it's it's a strange setting here. He's he's painted this in just giant sort of starry night mural here, and his name's being repeated all over it. So it does get a little psychedelic and trippy there, but he uh, manages uh, to with some help of uh, multiple pills, sort of uh, come back to reality, and he's actually just painting in this uh, in this uh, rubber walled room. <laughs> so Mrs. Breslin needs his help, and they need him to do his thing and help investigate and find out who altered the Mona Lisa and there's also all of these sort of art terrorism things going on in the world and uh, one of them was uh, it, it was a little shocking to me that they show someone that made a homemade bomb and and blows up a school and kills like 185 kids so yeah a little heavy a little intense but uh, I was like wow they went there I mean they're uh, they're they're taking some risks they're 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 definitely doing some some very uh, uh, you know kind of outrageous stuff here and that was like oh wow school kids anyway so they continue on with uh mrs breslin trying to convince arthur to get out of the loony bin here because uh he's just heavily medicated on a ton of drugs but they really need his help they have no choice he has an interesting speech pattern which you can definitely tell he's a little schizophrenic a little uh add if whatever you want to call it 
he's uh, a little all over the place. But he's interesting and he's funny and his he actually comes up with some of these little one-liners. And he has this mannequin, this this art reference action figure, if you will, uh, uh, multiple points of articulation, you know, maybe one foot tall mannequin action figure thing that he uses for his art that he talks to. He calls it Manny the Mannequin. And they uh, get him together. And as he's getting himself together elsewhere, there is a young child and a mother traveling across country in this beautiful setting. Again, some great coloring here, very realistic. And this young boy is drawing a picture of Van Gogh. And when he, when his mother's talking to him, like, look at the cows, sweetie, take a look at the flowers, uh, cows, not the flowers, the cows. And his turn and look uh, that he gives and, and the art the way the art is delivered here, he has that demonic stare and he draws, he puts away his picture of Van Gogh and draws the cows that the mother's so, so forcibly trying to have him look at. Look at the cows, Dylan, look at the cows. And he draws a picture of a cow with lights out eyes and as they pan out, all of the cows in the field are all dead. And you're like, oh boy. So is this kid the one responsible for this art terrorism? Or is he the Damien, the, the demon in this story that can draw something and things die? Uh, the, and you realize that the mother kind of knows this and is frightened of him. And that stare that he gives is unforgettable. But that sets the stage. That's the tone here of this. It's it's a little mind twist. I, I got to find out what happens in this. Um, how Arthur is uh, going to somehow help. And and the story sort of begins here because they're being chased. And they ultimately step into a painting. And what happens there is not so trippy and psychedelic, but weird and interesting and the color palette and style here it's like this washed out white room and yeah it's it's something you gotta see and i don't want to ruin the last couple of pages because there's some interesting visual there but they step into the electric sublime and that's what the uh, the comic is called but check it out it is a solid comic it stands alone it definitely comes to an end and you kind of go wow i'm kind of happy with that but still you have the dylan character and the art terrorism going on and how Arthur and Miss Greslin are going to somehow be the team that corrects this or fights this. I, I got to read more of this. I can't wait. I hope it's delivered on time because it has a lot of attention to detail in the art here. Seems like something that's not going to be delivered on time. If I were to guess, but if it is on time, I'll be pleasantly surprised if we get this on a regular monthly basis because it's very intricate detail in art, beautiful setting, the emotion in the faces. I say it all the time, right? But it's that haunting look with Dylan staring actually at us uh, that he gives to his mother. But the eye stare in the panel is uh, is frightening and memorable. With that picture of the cow with its eyes lights out, it's just it's great. But that's why it's my number two. But here we go, coming in at number one, the number one pick of the week, hands down, easy, no brainer. Uh, when I do my little uh, battle of comics, um, trying to whittle it down to the number one. This I just set right aside as number one right off the bat. I just knew it would be because of what happens in this. The number one comic is from Image Comics, Chew, number 59. And Chew, number 59, is just one issue away from the ending of Chew for all time. And that makes me sad. Like, it, it just makes me sad to even have to say that. But the cover is of one of the FDA agents where he's bleeding out of every or he's bleeding out of his eyes, his nose, his mouth, his his ears, and uh, it's uh, frightening looking. This comic itself is filled with a ton of humor, 
This is still carrying that tone of that humor, but getting very having some very heartfelt and serious moments in this. And I'll really do my best to try not to spoil it. But I, I can't implore you enough to buy the Chew series. I mean, awesome that it's going to be done in 60, but I would get some of these in floppy. It's a great experience. Uh, there are some some art and some things and some some splash pages you won't get I'm sure in a master collection and some of the letters they don't a lot of the times in those master collections they don't put a lot of those letters in there and uh, they're worth reading anyway now uh, the team on this is John Lehman on on the writing and Rob Gilroy uh, on the uh, the art his art style is very sort of cartoony uh, very animated style it's very sort of flattened color panels not a lot of mixture of tones. It's uh, it's it's has this very sort of cartoony animated style, and I love it. It would be a fantastic animated series, but I've been hearing rumors of Stephen Yoon from The Walking Dead potentially playing Tony Chu, the main character in this Chu comic, in a movie TV series. Not quite sure, but it's being optioned. It's being looked at. That would be super cool. But I tell you, the fun part about it is reading all of the intricate names of things on the walls in the background. Like, there's a note, there's always little notes on the wall, and there's one here when the starting of this is where Amelia now, uh, in the past issues, his, his the love of his woman, love of his life, has sacrificed herself because that crazy skywriting is in the sky. It's going to be just nuts to just describe this comic. But the strange skywriting from, from the aliens is back. Last time the alien writing showed up in the sky, the, the, the chicken virus hit the planet and millions and millions of people died. Well, the writing is back in the sky, so they, they are feeling like it's the end times again. And they find out through his arch enemy that the, this time the aliens are there to finish the job and there's only one way for them to fix it and that's if Amelia uses her her food-based powers to write her fictitious story and if Tony reads this fictitious story with his food related powers where he normally has to eat things to have a psychic uh, a, a hint a clue a psychic message by eating something but if he if Tony reads her book this sci-fi weird series uh, then only the people on Earth that eat chicken will die. <laughs> so, so Tony has uh, lost the woman that he loves for that. She sacrificed herself. She had to write that book, and in doing so, it used all of her powers and it wiped her body out. And she just and she kind of bled to death. And it's a sad, touching moment. And you've seen her for you know a, maybe 50 issues or something. I think she was introduced in issue 10 or so when he finally met her. And, uh, she, you know, she passed away in the last issue. So this opening panel is Tony holding Amelia with the sky, uh, the doom, impending doom, out the window to his right. And it's this, and it's heart-wrenching, I tell you. It's a character you cared about. They had the cutest relationship and her food powers where she writes stuff and people uh, taste the food she's writing about. That's basically her power. That's why she's the one that has to write the her fictitious story and have Tony read it. But anyway, it's a combination of their two powers. That will kill everyone, uh, not on Earth because of the skywriting, but just the chicken eaters. <laughs> there you go. The story's nuts, right? And so his partner, who's very cybernetically infused, is there to uh, to pick him up and realizes that he didn't know, but Amelia has passed. 
and he uh, just had this awesome meal. And there's a note on the wall that says, Dear God, no more beets, please, tea. <laughs> and another just little insider little joke that's constantly going on. Even the cafe, the coffee cup that his partner's holding, it says, No nap cafe, and like lights out face with X's over the eyes. So there's a bunch of little teeny little nuggets of humor in Chew for the entire thing that have been just laugh out loud hilarious. And this is very light in that area of those little notes, but so his partner here, uh, John, sees that uh, Tony is is destroyed from Amelia passing away, and he somehow convinces him with his very positive nature that look, let's we you know we have to go. This is the end times. It's the it could be the end of the world day. Uh, let's go find us some serial killers. If it's the last day, let's put down some horrible people and act out our aggression. And John's just sort of this breath of fresh air and positive in this heavy note. And, and it just changes gear so quickly. But it works. And Tony sort of explains what Amelia did to John. He's totally confused. <laughs> Which I'm sure you are, as I just described it. But... They go. He convinces them. He convinces Tony to go back to the the FDA station to find this horrible case that they want to have solved. The serial killer. They're tipped off and get a lead of this food serial killer, and they go and dispatch justice upon this serial killer like it is the end of the world. And yeah, it's gruesome. It's hilarious. Uh, it ends in in bloody terror. <laughs> but uh, there's even a sequence where John uh, before that. The, the uh, sequence there with the serial killer where John, their, their sort of sergeant <clears throat> is very much attracted to John and John promises him for some sexual escapade if he lets them take this lead and go dispatch this serial killer and it's just funny he just goes, hey man, just you know, let the guy live for one more day and have something to live for because it's all over anyway so they've kind of they've kind of both agreed that this very well is the end of the world as they know it <laughs> And so uh, that's where they um, that's where I want to stop because uh, it it's it's John and Tony on an adventure together to kill this this serial killer. It's his sort of love letter and goodbye to Amelia. And then there's a twist and a turn and it goes from there. You do see this sort of weird sci-fi adventure that Amelia writes that Tony has to read. And uh, that's where I want to leave you. It, is, is, is it the end of the world? Will the skywriting kill everyone? Will it just kill the people that eat chicken? They don't completely know. But of course, his arch nemesis tipped off that he believes that's what it will be. But this is, uh, this is wrapping up. This feels like the end, potentially. And issue 60 might just be the, you know, the epilogue, uh, the aftermath. But um, check it out. It's definitely an, a, a unique, interesting, and heartfelt and touching ending. And uh, I'm going to be totally sad to see this go. It's been such a fantastic ride. And uh, please uh, support these guys. Pick up Chew. I've met them a few times at a couple of cons. They're the nicest of guys. The team has stayed together for 60 issues. And it's been something that I will never forget. It's a series that I will want to reread. And that is a rare statement in itself. I, I hardly ever reread stuff. Because there's so much new content and so many comics coming out. But... Chew is a reread for me. I would love to put it away for a year or so and pick it back up. Probably I'll buy the the omnibus version. I I, I know I'll probably want to anyway, and uh, it'll it'll be nice to sit down and revisit the family and see Chew again and John and Amelia and uh, the sergeant and the crazy. Uh, uh, I want to say this, uh, the arch nemesis was like a Sean Connery character, 
man, with a monocle. And uh, but it was fantastic. Please check out Chew. It's fantastic. That's why it's my number one pick of the week. It uh, it ultimately is very. It's uh, it's kind of devastating, but it's a uh, it's a great ending. And I think, like I said, sixty is going to be just kind of aftermath. But I could be wrong. Uh, it's uh, it's a little twisted. But there you go, folks. There is the Halloween edition. There. That's the end of uh, issue number seventy eight of the podcast. That covers all the new comics for New Comic Book Day, October twenty sixth. Please. Get off your behind and go to a local comic book shop and buy these 10 comic books immediately. It's worth your money. They're fantastic reads. These are the kind of reads, and every week, because I only want to pick the greats, these are the kind of reads that will, will make you make your pocket smile, make your make your heart, your nerd heart uh, warm and fuzzy. And uh, let me tell you, it's uh, a, just a real solid week of comics. 23 of them, but man. So if you have any questions, comments, or you'd like your own personal comic book recommendation, just send me an email directly to chris at sunspotscomics.com. If I choose your email and I discuss it on the podcast, I will send you a comic book prize as a thank you for me personally. Also, sign up for our email newsletter at newsletter at sunspotscomics.com slash contact. And please, tune in next week for Podcast 79. I've got some awesome stuff coming out. I'm really, really looking forward to a ton of things i've got actually it looks like a a very small week of only 13 comics but there's five new number ones so potentially 18 and next week i'm so looking forward to a ton of stuff uh just to name a, a few off the top of my head i know next week there is uh oh gosh what what is it there's a ton of things um uh, walking dead is uh coming out that's right um there's a there's another Batman. There's another Superman number ten. That's right. Superman number ten is where uh, Superman and his son Jonathan meet uh, Bruce and and Damian. Like the two sons meet each other for the first time. So yeah, I can't wait for that. That's gonna be fun. And uh, Eclipse number three comes out next week. That's right. Uh, Moon Knight number eight. There's just a ton of stuff. Uh, there's a new uh, Marvel comic called Fool Killer. I'm really looking forward to seeing that. Southern Bastards next week. So there's just a ton, ton of stuff. I cannot wait. Um, it's going to be a good week. So please tune in uh, next week on the podcast. And thank you so much for listening in. It really means a lot. I hope you enjoyed everything that I covered. I know, a crazy long podcast, but I hope it was totally worth it and you enjoyed it. And thank you so much for listening. And if you want to help me and help the show, just do this very simple thing and just go to iTunes, give me a positive review, hit me with five stars and a little blurb there, and I will thank you personally on a future podcast. Um, so please uh, just do that to help the show out. It will mean a lot to me. So in closing, thank you so much again for, to everyone that helped me with the uh, S-L-L-A-C-C, the Stan Lee Los Angeles Comic Con. Thank you to Justin. Thank you to all the guests and people that I interviewed. Thank you to my wife for your help there too. And uh, so we'll see you next week, folks. Thank you so much for listening. And, of course, be water, my friends. See you later. Happy hot materialize and begin to vocalize. Grim grinning ghosts come out to socialize. Now don't close your eyes and don't try to hide. Or a silly spook may sit by your side. Shrouded in the death disguise They pretend to terrorize Grim grinning ghosts come out to socialize As the moon climbs high or the dead oak tree Spooks arrive for the midnight spree Creepy creeps with eerie eyes Start to shriek and harmonize Grim grinning ghosts come out to socialize
When you hear the knell of a requiem bell, weird glows gleam where the spirits dwell. Restless bones etherealize, rise as spooks of every size. Oh, yes, they do. When the crypt doors creak and the tombstones quake, and the bars ring and blink, happy haunts the clearing hands and begin to vocalize. Bring, bring those, come out to socialize. Close your eyes and don't try to hide All a silly spook may sit by your side Shrouded in a catfish eye They pretend to terrorize Bimbling ghosts come out to socialize If you would like to join our jamboree, there's a simple rule that's compulsory. Mortals pay a token fee. Rest in peace.